Hey there, Esther Pav- Pavitsky. Uh, your guess is as good as mine. I figured it sounded uh, Eastern European. I thought you'd nail it. Okay, hey there, Esther Pavitsky. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash, this is Steven. Steven, what's your name? I can't even pronounce it. So I watch a lot of stand-up, and YouTube is nice enough to recommend more stand-up to me. And I came across one yesterday by a comedian named Esther Pavitsky about how gross it is to bang young girls. And it's funny, and we'll play the clip. <laughs> okay. And uh, that that's that was the end of my creativity. It was either that or a Fight Club reference. And we all right. know how much I like the movie Fight Club, so... Okay, 18-year-old girls are children. I know this because I was a child until I turned 27. This is going to be interesting. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, speaking of interesting, we are here discussing an interesting book by Alexander Wales called Worth the Candle. In our podcast, Not Everything is a Clue. Indeed, we are. We are getting close to halfway through it, I believe. You can support us on our Patreon. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, And also, you can support Alexander Wales at his Patreon, which we also link. um, Both of those at our homepage, hpmorpodcast.com. We also give 15% back to Alexander. And uh, I don't know. Let's dive into it because we got a lot to go through. Let's do it. All right. Uh, listener feedback. Got a few this time. Uh, let's start with Maffy Dufa. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, commented on our discussion about how many languages there are when I guessed less than 100. And the official was uh, approximately 7,000 that you looked up. Um, Maffy Dufa says, just to give an example of why there are approximately 7,000 languages in the world, within a 200-mile radius of me, there are at least 50 mutually unintelligible languages and probably closer to 100. I'm really curious where Mafi Dufa is, but uh, somewhere I, densely populated with countries every which way, probably. I believe it was Nigeria. I can look it up. Oh, nice. No, we don't have to pause to look at Discord. But what's cool about that is like in the US where, I mean, especially, you know, where Enosh and I are in the middle of the country, we're 1500 miles from the nearest country. And, you know, every it's it's weird to remember that like, from the time that it takes me to drive from here to Cheyenne, Wyoming, if I lived in, you know, if I lived in France, I might be able to, to travel through a country or two in a couple of hours, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's yeah. anyway. Yeah, no. Uh, hold on a sec. Do, 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 because I really want to know the actual exact language here. Uh, Kenya. Sorry. In Kenya. Ah, same country as our uh, ex-president was born in. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. In fact, uh, Richard Dawkins actually was born in Kenya. Was he really? Yeah. Oh, cool. At the same hospital uh, as Barack Obama. Yeah. Um, Mafidufa was a little bit um, put out by, by, by how not only did I guess so low in a very like American-centric view, I guess, but also when you first said the initial number was 7,000, I didn't believe you. I was like, there's no way that's right. And uh, I guess I, I'm not sure if I... Uh, came back later and said i have updated i guess it actually is seven thousand in in more concrete terms but yeah it's it's a lot more than i thought i was skeptical of the seven thousand that i came across too like i didn't do any proper reading i googled and looked at a couple of the results if i had to guess at the time i would have said oh i bet that's like how many you know are spoken or are currently understood by humans across the planet or something but no i mean i'll take you know that's the thing is it is you know like i was saying with the geography here i mean i I can travel for days in any direction and not find a non-English speaker. It's just uh, it's how things that. are here. I, I, yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. But 
in addition to that, like I had been taught that uh, in the 18th, 18th, 19th and 20th century, like the European powers went through and steamrolled basically the entire world, colonized the fuck out of things, destroyed local cultures. And like, I just assumed there weren't that many individual cultural groups left that they'd been mostly genocided or wiped out or suppressed. And like, I, I could have believed that there were that many pre uh, age of exploration, age of colonization, but uh, I just, I thought that they'd been really destroyed. And it turns out that I, I guess it was slightly overstated just how genocidal the powers were not that they were good by any stretch of the imagination, but like I, I legit thought that there we had murdered our way down to a hundred languages or less. That's not an unreasonable assumption. I think um, again, my history is crap, but my my read on it is I I guess the colonization involved less complete stamping out and more just like stepping on. Yeah, and so if you're just stepped on, then once you know people get the fuck off your back, you can kind of go back to doing your own language and culture stuff. So, yep. Um, yeah, this, this is just revealing to any non-American listeners. We sound like just complete dipshits, but yeah. I'm, that's, I, I own my lack of geography and history, historical knowledge. So we will shower our g- ignorance upon all of our listening audience. Behold, <laughs> uh, moving on to next listener feedback, LHC, uh, says that while you and Inyash in particular are rightly much more critical of the fridging discourse than many are, you are still being way, way too charitable to it, which is the opposite of what I thought I was going to hear. Um, I says, knew where this argument was going as soon as I saw you said that we're being too charitable to it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You are a smarter man than I. I've come across it in contexts like in the late days of the New Atheist movement. Um, but anyway, it's worth it's worth going over. If you want. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. LHC says it isn't just that a pattern slash trend is being blamed on individual stories that contribute to that pattern trend. It's that the pattern trend itself is basically hallucinatory and attacks on that pattern slash trend are actually just a mechanism for amplifying and enforcing the unexamined bias of the feminist critics uh, with feminist in quotes in this case. Uh, males are the disposable sex. They always have been and they still are, which I, you know. Just completely agree with. That's what history demonstrates. Uh, People are generally instinctively more bothered when women die than they are when men die. And this is reflected in the stories that our culture tells and has always told, where male male character deaths are more frequent and less weighty on average than female character deaths. And I believe we actually talked about this a few months ago when I was talking about how I felt bad that I didn't care nearly as much when when male characters were uh, were killed off killed or hurt than when female ones and also not just male and female but also attractive versus unattractive like they were we did, both we did talk about that aspect of it yeah i think the sex came up too back then uh lhc continued fridging discourse exists to tug on and intensify this instinctual reaction and to harness it into power for an anti-art worldview that deliberately confuses fiction and reality to make artists out as spiritually violent against women the trend being described of women dying more than men in fiction feels real because people notice it more when in fact it's the opposite of the real trend. There's a goalpost shift there. The trend being described in fridging isn't that women are dying in fiction more than men. It's that women are used as plot devices to motivate men. That but, is definitely where the original fridging thing comes from. Yeah, because like no, no one's going to argue that like, I mean, because if you just add a body counts, it's obviously men, right? Like, I don't know if Milan killed any women 
with that avalanche and she has the highest body count of Disney pre star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's like, there's an example of a, of a woman killing men, but like, that's, that's not the, the, the body count isn't the, what's that con- what's contested here. Right. Yeah. That's, that's basically it's the, true. It's, but the, also- it's the woman as plot device and nothing else. And don't get me yes. wrong. Like I, I, I totally, I agree with much of what this is getting at, but I, for some reason feel like it's, it's being kind of, swinging too hard in the other direction i agree i do think it's moving the goalposts a bit but i don't think that's entirely lhc's fault because like whenever there's any piece of fiction that has a male protagonist and a female that he's close to dies in it immediately the fridging uh flag is raised i I remember it happened in harry potter 2 when uh hermione was killed by the troll i guess spoilers for harry potter uh let me let me talk about that last week oh that's right we did so too late now it wasn't a thing used to motivate Harry, right? It was just a sad thing that happened. Like, I don't know if it's fridging, but the fact that immediately there was a lot of talk about, is this fridging and is Eliezer problematic for doing it, jumped up. And I think that's why people have gotten exasperated with it. I, I think I just hang out in different places of the internet than you guys. I guess not Twitter, because like, I was following the story live at the time and I didn't, I don't think I saw the word fridging come up once on the subreddit. Um, in that context, we were... I mean, we didn't know how far we were into the story at the time, but we were like 85 chapters deep, right? So it wasn't like act one, here's a woman, you may or may not learn her name, and now she's dead, and now the protagonist has a reason to go on protagonisting, right? Yeah. Like, that's fridging. If somebody that you get to know, and even if it does motivate Harry, which it kind of did, it reaffirmed his, like, let's become God as soon as possible thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, it influenced him so much that there was a world ending, there was a prophecy about the end of the world. Um, (laughs) So... You know, I I don't think that that is a good example of it. I think that good examples exist, but it's, um, you know, I I, I guess I I never come across anyone talking about this. I learned about it on TV tropes, uh, like the website, and I think it's because maybe people who spend time reading literary analysis of other you know that other people write come across this stuff more than I do. But I also yeah. don't read that much, so I don't know. Okay. I mean, I'm trying to think of other things you know, big, big popular stories that I've read. Um, you know, it's, I what's like, what's coming to mind is like this funny video that I saw, like I said, in the latter days of the new atheist movement back when for some stupid reason, there was a schism revolving around, uh, like gender issues. And <laughs> are we talking elevator gate? Yeah. But this was, a maybe in the year or two after that, like after like the schism had happened, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, somebody, did some like mock serious review of kill bill and how all these nameless faceless men are just slaughtered for the protagonist, you know, whatever, whatever. And like, then he's like, see, this is how people sound when they talk about women dying in movies. And I'm like, dude, you're, you used to be so smart. And even I know that you're missing the mark here, but the problem is like, it's just people yelling at each other and yelling past each other. Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, I don't think that people are doing this to harness into an anti, you know, anti-art worldview or something uh, that makes right. artists out as spiritually violent against women. Some people might be that way. There are, you know, r slash Tumblr in action people, um, but I, I don't. Think people do it. It's just so that they can be like, you know, raw. I'm on team um, super left or whatever it is, and uh, and they know that's that's how you get the applause lights for from people on your team. Yeah, I guess I just don't get out that much either. I mean. It, the way I talk about myself, it makes it sound like all I do is sit at home and watch, you know, reruns and never talk to people. 
I do have a social and life. Marvel movies and Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, uh, spoilers for Endgame, but the movie came out years ago, and I'm I'm okay talking about it at this point. But uh, major character, uh, like Black Widow, gets killed, right? Yeah, and, and like if, the if some idiot raises, called that fridging. Then, well, I'm, if someone I'm, did, they're wrong. I'm just I'm happy to say that as an authority on these movies, because she was there was no motivation that came from her death. It wasn't she was not introduced and then immediately killed so that Captain America could go on a revenge rampage. Right? She was. I mean, with the MCU for ten years and uh, sacrificed herself to save her friends at the end. Like that's fucking tight. Again, someone someone made the argument. I'm sure, but they were just flat wrong. Yeah, I, I was going to say, when you Google was Black Widow fridged, the first result is, yes, Black Widow got fridged. Well, which is that's fine. Fucking that's the crazy. Internet. Right, I know. But yeah, there's there's tons of, uh, yeah, yeah, people have made that argument. And that is, like, the fact that you said, no, obviously not, that's crazy, is where people like LHC who run into this sort of thing all the time start getting annoyed because, like, obviously she was not. And yet, there will be a lot of people arguing that she was. I think just take a page out of Draco Malfoy's book and just, you know, curtail the people that you spend your time listening to and responding to. And this sounds like I'm being an asshole, but like, you can't spend your time. I've I've spent time engaging trolls before and what I thought was a good faith way on my side, well, was, and then turned out not to be on theirs. And it's like a huge waste of time. If someone's saying something that's, you know, just outright insane and they're not budging on it, then it's like, all right, well, you know, maybe you'll find your way in another part of the internet, but I'm not going to sit here for two weeks and try and walk you through this. So, all right. Acerbic Malin points out that they think that deleting quests from the character sheet was the best option for the DM because marking them as failed is an indication that Fen can never be revived. Uh, I can see a case made either way. Um, you know, removing it from the history of the, you know, the quest log or whatever makes it seem like, Oh yeah, this was never a thing. Forget it. But I you know I can't think of any games where like a quest has failed and then you're allowed to like actually go back and fix it. But you know if you just remove the whole thing, it sounds like it's gone. But I can see where they're coming from. I, I to me, it's less about like what is the what is the quest and what's the game layer going to permit, and it's more just like what message is the DM sending by doing that, right? Why right. why use that part of the interface and. Right. Yeah, well, that's what Asterbic, uh says, that marking them as failed is an ind- indication that she can't be revived. Leaving them in there, still open, is an indication that they can still be completed and cheapens the impact of death. The only way to maintain the uncertainty is to remove them from the list, because then there's no clue as to whether they uh, might be gone forever or whether it might be possible to get them back. Which uh, I thought was, like, really good meta-thinking. Now you're thinking with portals. <laughs> I like it. I just, I think that, um, like... The DM could be sending another message with that, which is, you know, yep, she never happened. Forget it. Which is more like what it feels like, even though obviously like can erase June's memory of her. But you're right. It does leave the ambiguity. And maybe there aren't games or maybe because uh, I can't think of any right off where like you fail a quest and then you're allowed to like actually complete it. Right. Yeah. Um, so maybe if it was marked as failed, then it would remove the ambiguity. Yeah. So that's a good point. OK. Shall we yeah. dive into the actual text again? Yeah, I think that this will be a quick one. I've got a, we're on chapter 121, Maddie. It opens with the sentence, there wasn't much to say about Maddie. And I agree, that's the chapter. (laughs) On to chapter 122. Where things get Uh, interesting. Yes. No, I I did, I just pulled out a few things. Uh, 
I like the description of Maddie finding a lot of those incestuous websites that have built up their own mythologies and rituals and words of power. Uh, because I think those are some of the most fun places on the internet. And I spent a lot of time in those sorts of places, specifically Xena and Buffy places. Uh, and I was like, when I was first writing my notes, I was about to say that it's too bad we don't have time for those as we get older. And then I remembered what I do with over a dozen hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, no, I I have niche podcasts that have their own jargon and a very limited audience and other people think we're crazy. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess I'm still doing this thing even after all these years. Except now we're contributing. Now we are contributing. That's right. Yeah. Taking it a step up. Someone else can go out there and make the joke of whatever. In fact, I hear a couple of, you know, inside references, um, like shaping exercises. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's fun. You know, it's again, it's, it's small scale that, you know, I guess that's, that's sort of the point though, with these, you know, with this description of these kinds of corners in that, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's fun. It's super fun. I'm not used to uh, making things, even though I've been doing it, I guess I've been contributing to things for years. So, oh yeah, dude, many years now. So old. <laughs> Speaking uh, of old. June... <laughs> nice. Uh, June uh, starts like justifying a couple times about the fact that he had sex with Maddie. And then both times kind of abandons it and just says, I don't think there's any way to justify sex with Maddie without sounding like a creep. And so he just stops. And I mean, I think that that keeps a lot of people away from from doing things like... Uh, Back in the day, it would keep people away from justifying why drugs should be legalized or uh, justifying why euthanasia should be legal or justifying why it's okay for people to be gay in public. Like they were all just things that no matter how, if you try to come to the defense, people would immediately be like, uh, is that because you want to do lots of drugs or have sex with gay kids or uh, or whatever it is? And eventually people are just like, no, I don't want to do that. And it's not worth the amount of social pain it would cause me to, you know, defend it on principles. So I'm just not gonna. And I think that's, that's really too bad. It would be good if more people were willing to accept some pain for, for defending principles like that. I mean, what's fun about this is I look forward to living through the history and seeing how things shake out. And of course, you know, history future history can be wrong, you know, it can come down the wrong side of things. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the examples you gave, I, I strongly suspect that like, uh, you know, society updated in favor of all of those things because those were the correct things. Right. Um, with, uh, it, from our point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not from the historical point of view that they were, they were wrong before and now we're less wrong. Um, yes. I think that the, you know, we can, think- we can get into it as much as you want, but like the idea of of sapient, you know, mostly intelligent or whatever, you know, young adults having sex with like barely sentient teenagers. Um, it's, you know, so like actually I think a better example of like the defending on principle. Well, it's not quite exactly. I see why this didn't come up. But like if someone were to uh, like try to make an a- advocacy group for like uh, pedophiles and recovery options or something or treatments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they get looked at like, oh my God, you're helping pedophiles and they're the scum of the earth or something. Now that's the yeah. wrong side of history. Those are people with an affliction that they would probably rather not have, right? Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think for me, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that uh, as Esther Povitsky puts it, um, you know, 18 year olds aren't people. 
And certainly 15-year-olds aren't people. Uh, well, that is a bold stance to take. She she, she does it in a fun way. Uh, okay. And, and I'm being somewhat tongue-in-cheek, tongue in but, like, I I think that the the reason that he feels gross about it, and I'm, I'm inclined to take his judgment on it, right? Mm-hmm. If he had said, look, you know, she's older than she seemed, you know, he didn't feel uh, overly gross about having sex with Fen, who was twice his age, and presumably Fen didn't mind banging somebody who was half her age. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know... But at that level, you're talking about two psychologies that can relate to each other in a meaningful way. Um, I thought Esther just said that June was not a person because he wasn't 18 yet. Well, now I'm no longer joking. Um, oh, okay, okay. And, and she she said that she didn't. Her her joke was that she didn't become a person until she was like 27. Um, right. So you know, uh, but I mean, you know, June's own assessment of the situation was that he took advantage of a young girl who like w- wasn't cognitively equipped to make reasonable decisions for herself like that's why he feels bad about it right no i didn't get that impression because when he started making the justifications he one of the things he said was that she was kind of uh she was kind of mature for her age i i think the reason that he is so upset um out of sorts about it is because he was a complete ass and didn't even like her and used her and those are all terrible things and added on top of all that is also she was two years younger than him and uh society frowns on that very much and he can't even try to say anything about that because it would make him look like a creep so he's not going to bother trying he emphasized actually like a creep. He, he did the opposite he emphasized the gap in their emotion in their maturity he says she was barely 15 years old and i was a few months from 18 and age differences aside there was a pretty big difference in emotional maturity so i couldn't even hide behind her being old for her age old for her age uh you you made the opposite case a second ago saying that june was saying no she was mature he he said explicitly that she wasn't uh, he's saying that there was a big difference in emotional maturity uh old for her age is like you know old soul right oh 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 okay i see yeah i read i read the opposite out of I got the opposite out of that line, but I think you're probably right that that is what he's saying. Uh, I I think the text shows him to be wrong a little bit later when we get to that. Uh, that she was actually more mature than he was. I mean, she did go to school gluing shit to her face. <laughs> yes, um, she did. You know, cat ears is one thing, mm-hmm. but you know, she she went full on. I mean, I knew people in high school with with cat ears and tails. Well, one guy with, but like. I never knew anybody who glued stuff to their face. You know, that's that's some. Mm, I don't know. I Do, have you known. I mean, the thing is, I don't think that's necessarily a sign of being childish, in so much as it's a sign of being um, on the autism spectrum, maybe where where you just really don't get social stuff so much that uh, that you do things like glue stuff to your face. I mean, I guess I would also argue that if someone doesn't get social stuff well enough to you know cooperate in society like i'm not saying that it should be immoral to have sex with them or something but like more uh i don't know i i i don't want to burn the whole podcast energy on this but like i mean in in brief like and i don't i don't want to like shut things down but like sure sure um the you know the fact is like june june feels weird about it because he feels like she she was he feels like she was a child and uh he you know his it was craig's kid sister big difference in emotional maturity etc he and, feels like he took advantage of her yeah and and, and I, I i feel like 
his assessment of it might not be 100% inaccurate just because like from what we see of her, the way she communicates, the way that she, um, you know, conducts herself is not that of like somebody that I would trust to make smart decisions for themselves. I, well, see, I, I, um, I agree that he took advantage of her because she was a nice person and she liked him. Uh, and he didn't like her back, but he used the fact that she is nice and she likes him to, I don't know, punish himself more or something. I don't even know what, but putting, putting that aside, uh, like I, I think that she was more mature than him, uh, in their relationship, which I like when I pulled that out, uh, let me just jump to the line. Here we go. Okay. Instead, she dumped me after about a week. The thing was, she said that we were better as friends and she didn't want me to take it too hard, but she just wasn't feeling it. And this was after him going on for a paragraph about like he didn't really like her, but he was white knighting and like he had to be with her now because all this, all this, you know, emotional dumb stuff that you believe when you're a kid and that you eventually grow out of. And Maddie, he keeps saying like, oh, she's such a child, but she's two years younger than him and she is already past that stage and I, I laughed a little bit when I read that because, like, she is more emotionally mature than he is right after he made this big old sweeping talk about how immature she is. And I, I thought that I believe this is actual irony, which you don't see all that often. I, I feel like we're reading two different chapters here. I mean, like, he didn't he didn't go, you know, date her to like White Knight or whatever. He dated her because the alternative was him throwing himself in front of a train and yeah. like. It it wasn't like, well, you know, she'll this will make her happy and I'm going to take one for the team. He's just like, well, fuck it. You know, I would, suicide's already looking super tempting. You know, might as well just, you know, bang these two big elephants in the room. And as as Raymer put it, um, that's the thing is she apparently got big tits at 13 and yeah. uh, she attracted her share of college aged creeps um, at, in June's words. And I, you know. Again, yeah. I think if you're if you're trolling junior high schools for for dates, you know, after you get off work when you're eight, when you're 19, you've you've got problems. But kind of sus, um, yeah, heavily sus. Uh, but no, nah, it it was I, I I the way I read the whole thing was like there was a boy who would talk to her, and she's kind of off putting, and somebody engaged her in conversation, and then. As soon as they had more than, you know, enough time in person to, to have sex and presumably have two conversations, she's like, oh, this is boring. I'm going to go do something else now. So I don't think that she's past June on this emotional scale. I think she's not even there yet. Like she, she you know, she, it's if we like, I can't think of a non-tortured analogy. It's not like she's already graduated high school. It's that she hasn't even started it yet. Right. Uh, she knows enough about uh, her feelings to to know that she doesn't want to be with him anymore and she let him down nicely and without lying to him well we don't know that she didn't lie i mean maybe maybe okay, she broke I, up with him because you know craig was gonna you know kill him or something but i mean you that's, know that's we, true we can, I guess we can mind read all we want but you're right, right. you know she, she let him down nicely it just seems kind of like the i read it more as like the um you know, the teen who one week is just crazy into Backstreet Boys and they've, they bought all their posters and mm-hmm. they they want concert tickets. And then, you know, Monday morning rolls along and now they're into NSYNC, you know, okay, like, well, that's, that's possible, I guess. I don't think a teen who's like that would have put it in quite those ways, but maybe like she had a guide on how to dump guys nicely. So that's, that is possible, uh, which is fine as well. 
Like, I, I, I believe you are allowed to just date people and stop dating them if you want. Totally. Yeah, totally. No, I'm not saying she did anything wrong. Um, okay. I, I don't think that she, I don't think she could be held accountable for her actions. But I also think that, <laughs> uh, um, I, th- I, I do Murder think that as far as uh, breakups go, she was very amicable and polite about it. So, um, hmm. anyway, you know, there's, this is, the whole thing's kind of a flashback chapter. And to me, it served more about, like, less on like a narrative of like why there was nothing wrong with what June did and more on like kind of, kind of tabling that and just explaining how June felt about stuff. Yeah. And you know, he didn't, he didn't dive into this because he was like, Oh my God, she's, you know, she's an old soul. She, she, yeah, sure. She's, she's just turned 15, but really like she could be 20. She's, she's so deep. It was nothing yeah. like that. He was just like, fuck it. I'm alone. And I'm going to sit at home and, you know, browse Netflix and then, you know, try to fall asleep. So like, might as well just hang out. Like, and I don't think what he did was right at all. He, what he did was very wrong and he was wallowing in self-loathing and hurting other people, uh, while he was doing it. Like, I, I don't think this was good, but, uh, I, I don't think it's the age thing that made it bad. It's the fact that he was an awful person. And yeah, this chapter shows us like how bad and how awful he really was. And like, I, I remember when you first, when we were the first couple episodes, you mentioned a few times, this feels kind of unrealistic. June just doesn't care, doesn't think at all about his life on earth or any of the friends or family he has there. Like, what the heck, man? And, but, but I'll just, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a fun video game kind of thing. So whatever, I'm rolling with it. And I, when I first read the, 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 worth the candle, like that hadn't jumped out to me at all. I, I was just reading it and having a good time. But the fact that it like jumped out to you and I had already read all this, I was like, oh, man, Stephen is really good on picking up these like psychological clues that I had no idea about. And yeah, it was because he didn't have anything left in that world. He destroyed everything, including himself. And and this just like really shows us how deep he'd sunk and how shitty of a person he was. I'm reluctant to call him shitty as, you know, maybe shitty in the same way I'd call Uther shitty, you know, like. He's in a bad spot and he's, he doesn't have what he needs to deal with it. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think the reason that I called out like the fact that he's not thinking about home is, as, as like noticeable is because I kind of like always self insert myself in whatever I'm reading or doing. Mm-hmm. And like if I showed up and I, I was thrown out of a plane on air, I'd be like, is my family okay? Where does everyone think I am? Like, yeah. uh, th- those would be some of my first thoughts after like, oh my God, zombies. Um, so the fact that like it never crossed June's mind, I'm like, well, that's weird. Maybe he literally is like not able to think of home or something, but yeah, yeah it turns out that he just hated his life there. And, um, you know, it's not impossible that part of the deal that he worked out with the DM when he got here was like, I will make your transition there, like psychologically not stressful. Mm. So like those mm-hmm. thoughts won't, they, it's not like you won't be capable of thinking them. They just won't be salient or something. But then when he does look back, he's like, eh, they sucked anyway. And you know, now we're getting kind of where he was at when he got here. Um, but yeah, it, I think it's the, I, you know, this, this is less about like age and adulthood or, you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. it's, and maybe maturity is maturity is a part of it, but you know, June went through something insanely hard and, you know, I think, how did I put it, um, in my notes here? So like Craig's rip, ripping into him, right? Oh, yeah. um, he tore him open. Yeah. And so I want to I'll quote most of that, but uh, you had the top part there, but I'll say what I said at the end of it, which is that like 
you start with teenage hormones and depression, throw in some social isolation, and then the death of your best friend. And this sounds like what you'd get, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, you know, to say, yes, he did something shitty. I mean, like, yes, maybe, you know, people were harmed by his actions and his words, right? Mm -hmm. But like, I'm not going to say he's a bad person for it. I get why he beats himself up over it, but hopefully he can get past that. But no, he was just in an impossible situation, you know? Well, Uh, for yes, uh, that was really, it was an awful situation and I sympathize with him and I agree with you, but also he did, he did much worse things than he, he had to do. Like particularly his going out with Maddie, even though he didn't like her and he thought that it was like, it was degrading to date her. Even that was, that was shitty of him. I think that. If he like was like, he if, wrote that text message to her and then didn't send it. But that was when he wrote that. I was like, oh, my God. And then he went out with her anyway. That's fucked up. Yeah. I mean, like, here, uh, here's here's the thing. I, I pulled out the quote. Uh, he says that, he, that the text he didn't send was it's mean and unfair to you, but I'd be a senior dating a freshman. And with everything else that's happened, I'd probably have to accept that I'd actually hit rock bottom like he was using her as his rock bottom. Like I am degrading myself by dating you. And that's, I thought that was really fucked up because she's not trash just because she likes him. And I don't think he's trash for liking her back either. But the fact that he's using, he likes her back. No, I don't think he likes her back either. Well, yeah, that's a good point. But the fact that he's using that, that social stigma as a way to just further bottom himself out. It's, it sucks for her. It's treating her like trash. Yeah, I suppose. I I guess and I mean, you know, it it's not like he did anything that she didn't want. Yes, he didn't like orient himself correctly to the relationship or whatever, but like he was never going to do that with anybody. You know, mm-hmm. he was like I think the reason that he was talking himself into doing this and, you know, phrasing it as like rock bottom is like, great, when this crashes and burns, I'll finally have a perfect excuse to blow my brains out. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think that this that this was kind of himself sabotaging on purpose. Like, there was no way this had any, you know, uh, longevity to this relationship was ever possible, right? Right. No, I so agree with you. I I read this as just him, like, you know, seeing the whirlpool and eagerly paddling for it so he could go die. Like, this- yeah, but using her as the weapon to do that, I thought was shitty of him. It would be, I mean, to me, it felt like if he was a white guy in the fifties and who was super depressed and everything, and he's like, well, I don't actually like this, this black girl who's into me, but, uh, I, if I will have hit rock bottom, if I go out with a black girl and so I'm going to like, that's just dude. Yeah. If it, if it's a, in this, this does kind of bring back into the age part, but you know, he, he's a, an emotionally stunted 17 year old, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I don't think he has that kind of aptitude that you have and that we like that you and I have looking back on his decisions now. And even that he has looking back on his decisions now, um, you know, I I think a lot. Yeah. And his, his his scope of what he can consider is just so much smaller. And Mm so I, to me, this was just like, you know, this was showing him what, like, this is the deepest look at what kind of state he was in. You know, we saw him, you know, not go to Arthur's funeral and stuff. Uh, and you know ignore tiff when she was crying but like this is a whole other level mm-hmm. and um you know craig is uh when he finds out um he's pissed right yeah uh, so craig's like really you of all fucking people what are you even doing 
Yeah, you'd pulled out that she's dated some real fucking losers, but you? Yeah. And I I don't know if, uh, you know, there were, because you had asked in your notes here, like, was, you know, why was Craig even still hanging out with him? And mm-hmm. I'm guessing, you know, it might have been pity, might have been camaraderie, you know, the inertia from the previous friendship, maybe hoping he'll recover, etc. I suspect that he likes June just fine right up until he learned that he had questionably consensual sex with his younger sister that he had said, please don't fuck. Um, I think that, you know, he probably got up that morning, had his, you know, lucky charms and was fine with it, then learned about it. And he's like, all right, fuck this kid. Um, I, I disagree. Like not only because of everything else that he said here um, sounds like a thing that has been going on for months, but like he, he actually said like, if she'd been like Tom and Raymer and June are all the same age. And he's like, if she'd been sleeping with Tom, that'd be great. He's a great guy. He, uh, she's, he's probably too good for her and she'd break his heart. Uh, he said, at least Raymer would have been the best boyfriend she'd ever had. So like, it's not that he has a problem with her sleeping with someone two years older than her. It's just that he has a problem with June specifically. Cause he's the, the worst person of anyone that he knows in person. Yeah, good point. Now I feel like we're reading two gym chapters because I totally miss like missed that when I was going through it. Um, mm. But I found that part that you're referencing. So yeah, I mean, uh, maybe it wasn't just about the you know banging his sister stuff. Um, you know, it's I don't know what Craig's deal is. It makes you wonder why they're still hanging out. Um, yeah, I don't know. For me, it was just like this is like the most intensely mean thing someone can say to June, aside from like blaming him for Arthur's death. Um, it was brutal. Yeah, and uh, you know. It ends with Craig throwing up his hands and he says, Arthur left this hole in all of us and you grew these fucking claws and tore out that hole wide open like fucking Satan himself. Arthur died and you fucking sucked. And then he just wanted to see how much worse he could make it. Didn't you? You fucking miserable shitbag. Yeah. And uh, that does sound rehearsed. You're right. He did not think of that on his you know walk over to June's house, you know, after having his cereal. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm glad things. I'm glad he's on air. I don't know where else to go yeah. with this. Uh, I mean, it's 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 good that he has recovered, and maybe that was why Craig was still his friend even after all those months, because he was hoping June would get back to a place like he is now, where he's a decent person and and cares about people around him and tries to make the world a better place instead of a worse place. I don't know if seventeen year olds are usually concerned with like that level of stuff. They're just like, who's fun to be around? Um, yeah. They're- but like, maybe, I mean, maybe you were loyalty. unique and at 17, you were thinking how to make the world a better place. <laughs> Not unique, um, but maybe you were exceptional or maybe I was below exceptional. I mean, or, I can really uh, only generalize from my experience, but like, you know, th- that was not in the scope of my considerations at that age. Um, I think that like, you know, Craig's also an asshole kid who doesn't understand that, you know, he does, he might know what the word depression means. You know, he might've felt mm-hmm. sad before and thinks, Oh, it's sad, but I'm not that much of an asshole when I'm sad. And, but June's got problems and he's got no tools or, uh, like will to work on them. Right. Yeah. And so and it's, like, no you, you don't scream at like. that person. You know, I think, I don't know. Someone's not, you know, a terrible fucking miserable shit bag of a person. They're just an unfortunate person with, in a bad circumstance without the, necessary uh equipment to help the help get them out of it yeah yeah it's that's or maybe i'll mature more and realize that people actually do suck but i don't think that's the case no i think think when i was a kid i used to think people sucked and now i think that you know if somebody is a racist you know gang joining prick i just you know i think like fuck that sucks you know they 
you know, bad circumstances put them on this path, right? Okay, you're you're right. That yeah. But it you know, again to to kind of zoom out in the whole chapter, the whole thing is is just setting up like you said, why doesn't he think of home more often? And yeah. this is why. Uh, yeah. you know, I don't know we've never had a flashback that even included his parents. Or now that I think about it, even one adult. Um but oh, shit. Yeah. uh you know, I'm assuming his parents weren't the best either, right? Um, you know, you still crying about Arthur? It's been months. Get over it, kid. Um, right. And like not realizing that there's a problem. He mentioned something about like mandated therapy, but um, maybe that was after he beat up that kid. Maybe that wasn't his parents or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like you'd, you'd think that parents who are investing in their kids' lives would see someone spiraling this badly. Yeah. Makes you wonder what that note he was passing in fifth period was after all the suicide notes he wrote. But you don't pass those out in school unless you're planning on someone noticing and having them stop you. So you must, if that's if that was a suicide note, then he wasn't serious about doing it. Yeah, I don't know, man. I so I called it early on, and I and I remembered what I said. That that note is going to be very important. <laughs> if it's never brought up again, that's fine. But I hope it's like some big thing. It is a big clue. Turns out to be the secret to the whole of Arab. Everything's a clue. Yeah, the whole thing That's is like, right. I'm going to go to a fantasy role for a while. BRB. <laughs> That'd be great. All right. Alrighty, well, was there anything else that you wanted to pull out before we moved on? No, I appreciate it. And I and I appreciate our, our different approaches on, you know, where we're coming at. I think, you know, it, it's entirely possible that my, you know, because like I sympathize a lot with June on his, he mentions it, you know, oh, Amaryllis is changing in front of me. I better avert my gaze, my, my humble, you know, midwestern uh puritan puritanical upbringing um you know that's i can relate to that really well and so it's entirely possible that you know some of the hangups i have about stuff will shake off but i think i've also just like i don't know you know like john mulaney has a joke about how uh he was allowed to sign a loan for one hundred and sixty thousand dollars when he was 17 to go to college yeah and, he, and he's like without a lawyer present that's illegal yeah. and um <laughs> Now the of course he had a co-signer or whatever right so it was legal but like you know a seventeen year old doesn't understand what a what a fuck up to your life one hundred sixty thousand dollars is for as John Mulaney got an English degree um, yeah yeah and so like well I think that most people don't understand what they're doing when they're signing um, marriage certificates like I think that very few people have. Could morally be held to their um, marriage certificates because they just don't know what involves, and yet society holds them to it anyway. They're like, "Oh no, yeah, that that totally counts." So you make a that's that's a good example. Um, yeah, I and so that that's an example maybe of adults not being smart enough to consent to things, right? Mm-hmm. And so it has nothing to do with age or you know maturity or whatever. It's in, in that case, it's more just like legal acumen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um, I don't know. It is what it is. Um, uh, I like the last line you pulled out here because it was um, kind. Of, it leads well into the next chapter. Oh, uh, I always thought one of the really underrated things about getting transported to a fantasy world was that you could leave everything from the normal world behind. Yeah. Um, yes, because it turns out he can't leave it behind. It, it's she's literally at the front door. <laughs> <laughs> literally at the front door. Yes, or at least her meat suit is. Um, it's you know this is the funny thing too. I mean. I mentioned that with Amaryllis looking just like Dahlia, you know, either the DM rewrote history to make Uther's daughter look like June's wet dream or rewrote June's psychology to make Uther's daughter look like June's wet dream or just rewrote history. Right. 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 Um, 
you know, so was Maddie included in Uther's campaign kind of just as like a, hey, this will fuck with him. Let's let's throw in a character that he knows from real life. And mm-hmm. now it's brought into this this story just because it's narratively satisfying for June's arc as well. Or is she also somehow retrofitted into the history of Arab? Um, it's it That's could be just reusing an old asset in another great way, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's interesting. Yeah, and like also she didn't have to be one of these rare species that lives a hundred times as long as a normal human. Like maybe in Uther's time she was just a regular human, and only when June got transported to Arab was that like retconned so that she was actually uh, one of the things that are indistinguishable from humans aside from everything takes 100 times longer for them. Yeah, that's a good point, right? Like why, you know, why is she still, a, you know, she still looks like a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Specifically, basically, presumably to evoke these emotions from June. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping we get a full explanation. I want the DM to sit down and, and explain everything that he did here. Yeah. Um, I, you know, as far as the name game for the title, chapter titles, Maddie's self-explanatory, Raven, also self-explanatory, but I really liked how they're both one-word titles, and they're both like, here's what these chapters are about. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's on, like it says on the tin, but it's done in like a really, I don't know, it felt dramatic and uh, perfectly paced, like like a perfect beat for it, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have the arti- I don't have the vocabulary to describe why it worked really well, but I liked it. Like those two yeah, chapter titles jumped out at me. It was aesthetically pleasing. Yes. Cool. All right, so, so yeah, in chapter 122, Raven shows up, and this kind of jumped out at me, because the first thing she does when she's talking to June is gesturing down at the collection of houses down the hill, where everyone outside the group lived. And I had not realized that they had already hired engineers and and started putting their, their nation together, which maybe I should have put together. I, I guess now that it's mentioned in the text, it's like, oh, okay, maybe this is how uh, Alexander is telling us that this is what's been happening in the past few weeks, because... I, I had not realized that before this. I think during the, like, so we did the retro episode at the same time that like the story did kind of like a skip the montage of a couple few weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. I think there was one line about how there were already people nearby, but like it was sparsely populated or something. Okay. But like, I, I sort of just assumed, I, I don't know, but like, apparently you can go asking around town and be like, Hey, is the leader of this nation here? And you're like, Oh yeah. Up in that hill. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of cool. I, uh, I may have just like glazed over that line or something. Well, even if you hadn't, like it's it's it wasn't clear that anyone in town would know what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they might have just already been living here. What do I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, I got to read this because I I revoke this over and over. <laughs> I revoke my praise over and over throughout this chapter. Okay. Um, so Bethel gets a good look because she's Bethel at Raven. What kind of threat she might possess before they let her in. Uh, as June puts it, um, she had gotten a look at Raven so invasive that it would have made the TSA blush. Uh, mm. You know, she could have described this uh, the taste of Raven's nasal cavity. And uh, Bethel was moving silent, invisible wards around them so that they had different air supplies. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. She's mm-hmm. an inconsiderate. So my note was, okay, Bethel's an inconsiderate jerk, but she has one hell of a house, like a super Jarvis. Hell yes. And, and I ate those words over and over and over. <laughs> well, she is a very, very powerful fortress. She's a powerful fortress, but she's a shit house. <laughs> I mean, sure, she keeps, the, she keeps the weather outside, but, you know, yeah. so, so does a cave. I, you know, <laughs> I, I want my house to be a home inviting. And that that involves not, 
you know, constantly threatening my guests. But yeah. Um, anyways, uh, I had to pull this out too because this is meta as fuck. Um, I think June was talking about like library books or something in his head. Mm-hmm. But uh, he said it was all written down somewhere in the future, which she had brought into the present or written down in a book somewhere in the future, which she had brought into the present. Now, that would have been a good joke. And this feels meta because we're reading a book that's written in the future, right? Yes, in June's future. Yeah. Yeah. That That is a damned good point. And maybe maybe that is a, a meta joke. What if this is that book? Dun, dun, dun. She, she didn't reveal that she was carrying a book, but... Yeah, but the book know. that she is carrying is literally worth the candle, the thing we're reading right now? Yeah. Well, that can't be the case because then she'd know she's about to get her fingers cut off and she wasn't like, didn't seem worried. She didn't act like someone who knew that was about to happen. Hmm. Or she acted like somebody who's been through 1700 years of this shit and has, yeah, it's definitely not <laughs> worth the candle, but wouldn't it be cool if it was? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so they're, they're doing this thing where they're like, they're both playing coy. June's like, oh yeah, I'm the secretary, uh, the, the whatever head of state she's she's getting her affairs in order she can be down shortly can I ask you a couple just cursory questions and he's beating around the bush like he doesn't know who she is and he's not like blowing her mind with like so raven friend of uther pendrag what are you doing here right yeah uh, up until the point yeah where he says was uther pendrag a good man which was his way of just like dropping the curtains and and blasting her with a surprise uh which first of all was really cool but also like since that being his very first question, like I get the feeling he's going to be worrying a lot more about this now going forward, especially ever since the whole Bethel thing. Yeah. Oh, and you know, the fact that some of his old compatriots wanted to kill him, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Bethel could have been a special circumstance, right? But mm-hmm. now he's met people that have minds like his that he can relate to and like, Oh, they also wanted to kill him. Uh, yeah, But, but then the again, they didn't want to kill him because he was a bad guy necessarily. They wanted to yeah. kill him because they thought it would stop the end of the world. Right, yeah. But I liked it just like in the kind of like uh, whatever bracketed um, speech that they use when they're talking telepathically with Bethel. Mm -hmm. It just says Amaryllis didn't like that. And it's like every video game with a companion, like on the top right of the screen. (laughs) Yeah, you see their their reaction. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if you're playing, if you've got like an evil companion and you give money to a beggar, it just says like, this guy didn't like that. It's like, well, fuck mm-hmm. this guy. Um, but anyway, uh, I think that he finally gets to ask somebody who knew Uther and wasn't like immediately hostile. And so he's yeah. just trying to get another data point, right? Yeah. Um, and and the, he keeps hitting her with, with all these like out of the blue questions that just reveal he knows a lot more than than she assumed. And like I... I enjoyed reading it and I like his strategy of hitting people with so many surprise sucker punch questions that they can't keep their balance during the questioning. Like yeah. you don't, you don't even know what to lie about when, when the, uh, what the other person knows. Yeah. Raven walked in clearly thinking she had the upper hand in this conversation that she was just talking to some dipshit. Mm-hmm. And then he's, she finally, I like her answer to about, uh, is Uther a good man? And he says, or she finally says, yes, he was haunted and kept his secrets, but yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's probably when uh, Bethel gets dressed to walk in. Yeah. Um, fucking idiot. But yeah. um, I lo- <laughs> sorry. Uh, my note here says Amaryllis in quotes walks in and starts leading the conversation. Things get sus when Amaryllis focuses on Uther stuff. Um, it's then revealed that this is Bethel and she's 
And she psychotically cuts off Raven's fingers because Raven didn't unequivocally say Uther was literally Hitler. <laughs> I retract my earlier praise of her being a good house. <laughs> it was it was definitely not a good having like that sort of loose cannon around it just it's fucking scary because you you don't know what's gonna happen it's like having a dog that's just an awesome dog great all the time but like once every two or three months he goes insane and mauls someone you're like i that's not good this is also a dog that you have to constantly tiptoe around because it'll bite your nuts off at any time yeah and it's not like a dog that you can treat you you can't like spray it with dog mace or whatever the fuck it's it is the god of dogs and if it decides to do something you can't stop it yeah it's uh it's a bad situation i mean bethel's like again like amarillo said not even a good friend you know if um i don't know who could show up that june would be psychotically enraged by but you know he might say you know what amarillo you lead the conversation because i'm uh i'm i feel like if i see him i'm gonna punch him in the face right Mm-hmm. Bethel could have said that, but no, she didn't want to be deprived of the opportunity to threaten and torture another basically innocent person. Mm-hmm. And so when she threatens Bethel, she's like, or excuse me, when Bethel threatens Raven, Raven's like, oh yeah. And she kind of goes like full Valkyrie, you know, wind blowing her cape for no reason, uh, yeah. armored out and looks awesome. And then suddenly her fingers are all cut off. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty one-sided fight. You can't beat when, Bethel in her house. When did God of War come out? Uh, twenty eighteen. Okay, because yeah. in the text, uh, he does say she goes Valkyrie mode, and I was like, that I just played that game a few months ago, but I'm way behind, so I, I wasn't sure if like it was a God of War reference or just a uh, you know regular Valkyrie reference. Uh, could be either. I'm not sure when this chapter came out. I'm not convinced yeah. that at the top of archive our own archive of our own is actually the date that this chapter is published. Okay. Because they they all say July 14th, 2017. So Do they? At least the last time I checked, which was months and months ago. Let me check the first hmm. chapter. Yep. All right. Well, then that is definitely wrong. So, yeah, AO3 has it wrong uh, on the chapter-by-chapter chapter basis anyway. But, um, yeah, I mean, it could have been that Valkyrie, for what it's worth, she's not a lot like the Valkyries from God of War. But, you mm-hmm. know, Val- Valkyries are a thing outside of that. But, um, yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. Okay. So, um. Yeah, Bethel uh, asks Juniper, um, what do you think is going to happen when you drag Uther out of whatever hidey hole he's hiding in? Are you going to bring him here to me? And June says, I don't know, probably. And I thought that was an interesting answer, because if I was June, I'd be worried that Bethel was just going to freaking try to kill Uther, maybe succeed, I don't know, but just immediately without any sort of talking or asking questions or anything. Yeah, I think that's the reasonable guess. I think June is being overly charitable to this shitty vengeful house. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if I'm going to be less uncharitable to this uh, psychologically tortured consciousness, um, but the way it is like Bethel is, it's, you know, making things right and happy is a nice goal, but Bethel's clearly like the torch, torture to death first and ask questions never kind of person. <laughs> right. And, yeah. you know, that said, I'm pretty sure Uther could kill her. Um, you know, I think when, he assuming that her account of everything is uh, perfectly accurate when he threatens to like smash her windows and rip, rip up her floorboards. It's not because that was the limit of his power. It's because he knew that's what would bug her the most. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like if, if he snapped his fingers, she could explode into five, you know, to level 9,500 of hell. 
Um, probably seeing us maybe, like maybe could, maybe not quite that intense but i feel like he could, could at least explode her but yeah yeah totally i'm nitpicking <laughs> <laughs> nitpicking myself oh man yeah i believe that's what they call self-improvement oh good um, all righty june's uh he says to bethel he says like i'm not happy but i get it he's not happy about how things shook out with raven which by the way bethel didn't actually kill um, he gets her to, he gets Bethel to stand down long enough to tell her to, you know, piss off for a second and helps her reattach her fingers. Mm. But then, uh, he says, I'm not happy, but I get it. I might've, might've done the same thing in your position. Sometimes it feels good to hurt people. Loyalty increased Bethel level four. <laughs> and man, if he just brings in some puppies and orphans to kill in front of her, he'll get to, loyal, to loyalty 10 in a hot second. Well, as long as those puppies and orphans first like piled Uther or something. As long as, well, I mean, that's, she, she tortured people you know, for the last 500 years who weren't Uther fans, right? That's true. She, she described with glee how much fun it was, was to separate them and then kill them and have them panic and stuff. Like she's yeah. psychotic. Yeah. Again, I yeah, might come, I, I might, I might come around to her, but she is not winning me over. No, certainly not with the shit she's done. She pulled these chapters. Yeah. Uh, maybe she'll apologize, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, June does say he's making an effort to get better in the, during the conversation. And I just, I like that he's, both trying and actually getting better because you know, the thing about trying is that you get better the more you do it. So trying itself is important. Good. Yeah. Hey, June. Amaryllis puts it nicely when they have their talk later too, in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, so, there's a, yeah. there's a cool beat where Raven uh, looks at June. And she says, it's starting up again, isn't it? And he says, yes. And I just thought that was a really cool beat. Just like matter of factly that, the world is ending or like, you know, the Russians are invading or, or something. The cops are coming and the other person's like, yes. And, and they both know exactly what that means. And it's, that's all you need to say. And her reaction is ah, fudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, she's like, okay, more world ending shit. You know, she's, she's chill as fuck. She's almost 2000 years old. Um, mm-hmm. I really hope she joins the party. Mm-hmm. She might be like too strong for it to be balanced. But maybe later, or maybe she can at least, you know, kind of companion along without being an official party member like Solace. Would he immediately get achievement credit for the key in the locks? Or does he actually have to fuck Raven and not just Maddie? Oh, there would have to be. That's a wonderful question. Um, <laughs> man, I don't know. There would be some unique achievement when he does, when he, when he bangs Raven, <laughs> right? Banged on both sides of the veil. Yeah. Or, you know... Practice makes perfect or something silly like that, right? Yeah. Um, Although, again, technically true. The more you fuck, the better you get at it. Or maybe the DM would just do a super low ball and be like, hey, look, or like achievement unlocked. Consent. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I said, if the DM was going to be an asshole, that would be be a hilariously asshole-ish thing to do. Not saying that I endorse it. It's the DM. Okay. All right. Very well, then. I think I think I made that clear before i delivered the joke but just to be clear yeah yeah okay, yeah, yeah. If, if the I dm know. wanted to fuck with him and be a dick that is a True. hilariously dick thing to do okay that is correct achievement unlocked this time she's old enough to want it i don't know something something fucked up like that right again i'm not okay, saying yeah, i feel yeah, that the way DM wouldn't do it. The, right yeah okay okay yeah, yeah. yeah. stupid i would DM. i'm All not right. an asshole i wouldn't do that even if i like don't agree with june's disposition i wouldn't be a dick about it right um, yeah but that's the kind of like jokey thing he might get you know, I'm waiting right. for him to get a, uh, I guess a Millie Hitler. No, wait, 
Senti Hitler. I wonder, like, remember his, like, you know, this is the same DM that's giving him micro Hitler points, right? So it's going to be that level of humor. (laughs) That would be awesome. Uh, the, the chapter ends with Raven saying she knows the last place that Uther was before he disappeared or when he disappeared. It's in an exclusion zone, and it's the Felseed exclusion zone. And this is talked about more in the next chapter, but I, this is where I took the first note, so we can just get into it here right now. Uh, at this point, I began to seriously worry that Felseed might be Uther. And, like, I know how it turns out and everything, but, like... I don't know. What do you think of the hypothesis that Felseed might be Uther gone bad? Or Uther gone great. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm skeptical for a couple of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. In this chapter, there's some talk about the library, but that might be more next chapter too, about how the library works. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that is most of the next chapter, yeah. But um, So for 100 chapters, because we're like, what, 112 now? So yeah, by 12, he had mentioned the Felseed thing because he like, it might have been like chapter three. He's like in the sheriff's office or the Shire Riff's office. Shire oh, Reef, yeah. remember? And he's yeah, like, I oh, do. God, I hope they don't have a fell seed here. Mm-hmm. And so like they've been, he's been alluding to this for 100 chapters. And as you put it nicely later, I'll, I'll actually just let you deliver that. But um, so there's there's fell seed, the monster here on Arab. And then there's the fell seed incident that happened on Earth. Mm hmm. And I don't know what that was. And, you know, we don't know what that was yet. But if it was something as as straightforward as June making like an evil zombie Arthur and calling it Felseed and like putting it in the game, mm-hmm. um, that would be the kind of thing that would maybe be described as an incident, right? Right, uh, right. I think that earns the term. But then that leaves the giant question of why June didn't immediately suspect he'd find Arthur there, right? Right. Which is why I agree with you. That's probably not what happened back on Earth. Yeah, so it, it can't be that straightforward. Um, but then it makes it unclear. Like, I, I can't really posit a good guess till I know what the incident was. Yeah. But a- as it is, if if it was Uther, you know, what we know of Felseed is that, like, he's got total dominion over the minds of everybody within the radius of his domain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that he has, like, the palace of flesh and the thousand brides or something yeah like the city of a thousand brides or something now if if you're arthur arab's been kicking you in the balls for 40 years and you've come to the pretty solid conclusion rightly or wrongly that the people here aren't sentient right they're just npcs Mm -hmm. and apparently you can't get out so what do you do well fuck it let's do some of that harem business i keep hearing so much about right um I could see how that could happen, but even that doesn't really feel like Arthur's style. Right. Or even Uther's style as much as we know him. And like, how does that nicely tie up his arc or whatever and get him off the map? It doesn't. No, it does not. I, my thinking was this DM seems like a real dick and he's just doing everything he can to push Juniper and test Juniper and strain his, I don't know, put him through shit. And like, if Juniper back on Earth created like a villain so awful that uh, that when he was introduced, it created the so-called Felseed incident, then what better way to fuck with June on Erb than be like, oh, you know that best friend that you idolize and love so much? Well, I turned him into this awful Felseed thing and made him real, and now you have to go kill him or something. Like, that would be, that was my idea of like, oh my god, this DM is a fucking monster. That's definitely possible. Um, the thing is, is that when he talked with him, 
And again, the guy's an asshole, but I don't know if he lied. He had said that, no, Arthur is here. He does say it's not, like not the Arthur you remember or whatever, right? It's both. it's him in his actual mind, not like one creative humor memories, right? Yeah. So, But like if, if it's Arthur actually is here as Felseed, but it's not the Arthur you remember because he's Felseed. Right. That that part's consistent with, with that not being a lie, but it couldn't be that the DM like made him Felseed, right? Right. But he could have probably broken him. Like he'd spent decades breaking Uther down, right? Yeah. Again, without Maybe. knowing what, what this guy does or how he what his what his power slash threat is, it's hard yeah. for me to determine like I don't know. I the idea that, you know, Uther Pendrag, the Lost King, has just been banging, you know, his his thousand brides for the last 500 years and like that's where he mysteriously vanished mm-hmm. um i don't know it's doesn't sound yeah and someone would have found him yeah the, the other thing is that apparently um uh fell seed came into existence like a few years after uther vanished so that timing actually is sus as fuck right yeah um so that's that's a a heavy piece of evidence leaning in favor of it but i don't know I mean, we don't like, know how she Arthur, tracked him there either, right? We don't know the details of anything. I mean, we can assume that Uther probably had enough power to change his physical appearance so people wouldn't be recognizing him. And, like, I believe Amaryllis said, you know, if it was possible to clear out the Felseed Zone, we would have done that because it's a moral aberration or a horrific monstrosity or something. There's some bad shit going down there. You can't like, just it's obviously f- not just a harem. You can't just fly a plane over it and drop a bunch of void bombs on it. I don't know. Apparently not, because they probably would have if they could have. I feel like they could do that with a lot of problems there, that they aren't doing it. Like, they they could kill the Dorises that way. Could know? they? I mean, at least they could cut her numbers down. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm overestimating how, you know, lethal void bombs are, or how effective they are. They seem pretty effective and lethal to me, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I also don't think that just, like, changing your face and body would be enough. Like, Uther didn't just, like, you know grow a beard and shave it off and hide somewhere and like that's how he got away from the game right like he didn't he, just put a toothpick in his teeth exactly he became jackie daytona <laughs> uh, i'll need to, i think i might have used that name earlier but i'll save it for another time because i'm sure we'll find someone in disguise later but um mm. so the uh what was i gonna get at no i think arthur must have done something grander something more against the grain right it's it's not like he just I mean, it's possible he just, you know, fucked off and went somewhere and the DM was like, okay, I'm, I'm done playing with this guy or whatever, but that mm-hmm. doesn't seem like it, right? He took, yeah. he took effort to close all the, the loops of the, the arcs around his, his narrative, but if he was going to just fuck off, why bother? He could just ignore the next thing that came his way. Yeah. So he was doing something. Anyway, we're on medieval stasis. And- Maybe becoming the villain would be a way to stop stop the degenerate cycles because the problem was he was the hero and the villains were always coming and threatening his home and his nation and his family and his you know wife and children like maybe if you become the villain you no longer have to be the hero i mean that's definitely possible it's like but if you know that's what you're doing can you really do it like i guess you can change your alignment with soul magic or something but i mean anyone who could pretend to be voldemort is voldemort right yeah but like if Harry thought that pretending to be Voldemort was necessary to save the world, like, and God was watching, you know, and God knew he was pretending as hard as he could, but like, I, it, it's different than just like, all right, I'm going to go out there and start rampaging. Right. It's yeah. like, no, I need to actually be the bad guy because yeah. if he was doing it for the greater good, then it doesn't, it doesn't seem to count. Right. 
Well, maybe that's why the fell seed zone is as awful as people seem to be saying it is. Because he decided like it really had to count. I don't know. I don't know. Again. Well, I am pushing. Yeah. Okay. So 123 medieval stasis next chapter. Yeah. We get some info dump from Raven. Yeah. And apparently the, the, the library, the infinite library has been wonky lately. And it looks like most of the scientific revolutions that Amaryllis has been working on hit some excluded magics or secret world threatening dangers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bethel won't stop being the worst house ever and constantly threatening Raven. <laughs> it's pretty off-putting, yeah. The way she just keeps doing it and seems to like always be looking for more excuses to do it. Yeah, no, she's she's sadistic. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, if, that's, if, that's if literally her, the thing is like you know we if if we're gonna call June when he was seventeen and you know depressed, accountable, and an asshole, then yeah. we and and we're gonna treat this house like a person like. If it's if it's wrong to torture this house because it's a person, then it's accountable for the things it does, right? Yeah, and it's being the it, it's it's full on Voldemort, like it's having fun yeah. torturing, it's constantly reminding, uh, you know, teleporting in front of her and uh, freaking her out, throwing her mm-hmm. like in you know, uh, whatever warded light warded boxes and like just you know, rude doesn't begin to cover it. This is the kind of stuff Voldemort would do as if he was a house. Well, maybe, maybe she'll get better. I hope so. I really do. Mm-hmm. Especially because I mean, she's a companion. Exactly. You know, and you know, I think one theme of this whole story is that like growth is a thing. Um, yeah. People change and they can, they can change to become better. I want yeah. her to show an inclination to try. That's, that's the thing that's setting her apart from everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, Val really wants to be Hermione and, mm-hmm. you know, Fenn wanted to be, the best version of herself that she could be. And June wants to be the best version of himself. He can be like and Bethel seems happy to be murder house. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my discontent with her. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of the, the uh, info dump about the scientific revolutions, Amos has been doing, and you've mentioned specifically the couch potato uh, <laughs> being the reason they can't make TVs. Uh, this was really cool. Uh, the best case scenario, it's an entity that, like can talk to people through their TVs and give them powers uh, and, and mind it, fuck them and like mind real bad. Fuck them real bad. Yes. Uh, it says that the best case scenario of making deals with the, the, the entity is increased mental activity, decreased reaction times, better impulse control, lessened emotional response and a direct communication to the entity itself. Uh, and she says there have been alternate uh, histories, I guess, since, you know, the, the, library has a future history uh there are alternate future histories where people have tried to negotiate with the entity and bring it into the world and tell people about it and might be like hey this is a powerful entity we're making deals with it you know uh let's let's uh let's treat it like a a a player on the world stage but she says the result every time was a race to the bottom as the nations of the world attempted to be the first to get on the entity's good side world population undergoes a precipitous drop once the entity has its toehold until eventually the last 1% of survivors live in something approaching a paradise for a decade or two before the entity is brought into imminence. From there, it's a paradise with bodily sacrifices. The contorted writings of those living in that world are something to behold. Which, first of all, I God, really wish that we could read some of those writings, those contorted writings from those people. I, that would have been just awesome, and I would... I try to get a GoFundMe to get uh, Alexander Wales to write some because I I think I would love it. But yeah, like it makes it sounds like s- proper horror. And if you won't do it, Inyash, you can take up this task yourself. 
I maybe I don't know, but like it, it makes you smarter, better, faster, more able to control yourself. Like everything it gives you is great, and it gives you a fucking paradise on Earth. But the population just drastically declines to almost nothing, and like it seems almost to me that like this was intentionally set up by uh by Wales as the opposite of the repugnant conclusion. And I don't know, did did you think that's what he was doing? And do you think it is a glorious conclusion? <laughs> because, like, if you think the, Republic, the repugnant conclusion is bad, then maybe you do think the super happy conclusion is correct, that it's best for very few people to exist if they have the best lives possible. Um, so I guess when I read that, I guess I got confused because I, I thought she was describing, like, the last time this had happened or something. I forgot that she was reading books of alternate realities. And yeah, so where worlds come to um, I was like, oh, maybe that's partly like where some of the population dropped off from 15 or 20 billion to five. Um, ah. So like, I think that, um, well, one interesting thing is that everything sounds good. Increased mental acuity, better impulse control, lessened emotional response. Sounds like a drag and decreased reaction time also sounds like a drag. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was, yeah, I thought. That's an increased reaction time for some reason when I read it. No, you actually read it correctly, too. I think it's just like, because it's listing a bunch of things that sound kind of cool. I'm assuming that's there because like that way, if the, the couch potato wants to reach out and slap you, you're less, you're less able to dodge or something, right? But Wait, no. Um, decreased reaction time is a good thing because if your reaction time is really long, it means oh, you're slow to respond. Yeah. Right. Man, I'm silly. Okay. Yeah. Man. Okay. Well, um, so the, the repugnant conclusion uh is like if you have uh it like all right it's it's the mere addition paradox right like okay Mm -hmm. well if if each life is worth 100 happinesses um and we can we can make uh a million lives but they're only gonna be at 98 happiness well that's probably better right than just like 10 at 100 happiness sure but then Mm -hmm. how far does that go right do we have like like a, a trillion people whose lives are barely worth living um or do we or what or is it like the other way around if what what if we have one super happy entity that is just like it's happier than the aggregate of all of humanity could ever possibly be um yeah is that planet better than a planet with a regular with a million regular happy people um yeah so it's i don't know if this is that the other thing is that things sound great for a while for a decade mm. or two until it's a paradise with, with bodily sacrifices um yeah, I'm not sure what exactly that means. It means that this that, that this demon thing is like, all right, I'm going to kill basically everybody, have fun with everybody else for a while, and then fuck them over too. Oh, okay. Because I thought like a paradise with bodily sacrifices. I wasn't sure like, how is it still a paradise if there's bad sacrifices? Maybe they're good sacrifices or something? I don't know. But I guess it, like anomalous kind of thing? Maybe it is that, yeah. Um, you know, she does say the contorted writings of those living in that world are something to behold. Maybe they... maybe contorted there means like the way that they square that circle right got it like yeah. oh my god we love living here and yeah sure we're basically the baby eating aliens from three worlds collide but we are so stoked all mm-hmm. the time man maybe it's mm-hmm. that. that that could be it yeah i do yeah. like that this kind of i'd never thought about this before but it does sort of seem to point out that people just seem to kind of have like a status quo bias where they're like yeah the about the number of people we have right now at about this level of happiness is optimal like, if we just had far, far fewer people that were incredibly happy, that would be really bad. And if we had tons more people that weren't nearly as happy, that'd be incredibly bad, too. So it's a gosh darn good thing that we're right in the best medium between those two. I don't know if anyone... 
I mean, I'm sure some people say that we're right in the best part of the medium there, but like, I think the goal is to get like more people who are more happy, right? Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. But the, again, it's only like paradoxical if you're trying to do math on util on utils of people. And uh, if you assume that utils are held constant, right. And <laughs> people are independent. And that like, that's a thing that one can even do. Right. Well, this person yeah. was 86 happy over the course of their life. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, you, you can, you can round those out to like not be numbers and just kind of like kind of self reports um, mm. and still have that still be kind of a, a paradox slash problem. But uh, it is, it is weird. I, I uh, on the one hand, or I, uh, to counter the point of like thinking that there's just a, the right amount of people, if there are twice as many people as there are now, like I'd be stoked mm. on it. Um, okay. So long as people weren't worse off, like in aggregate, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like the more the more the merrier, as long as the as long as the merriment doesn't go down, right? Right. If the what if the merriment went down? There were twice as many people, but the merriment went down one and a half percent. Would that be well, okay? Then we're then we're sliding down to the to the uh, the the paradoxical slope, right? Well, but then if you say that's not okay, we're sliding the other way, where we should eliminate you know ninety percent of people to get an additional two percent happiness for the remaining. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a chestnut worth cracking another time, maybe. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's talk about deer barf. <laughs> I loved this bit. So, cause like, oh, she's asking like, where are you getting your prototypes? Mm-hmm. And June thinks to himself. <laughs> a deer barfed up a magical backpack that pulls potentially info hazardous information from a world that may or may not actually exist. Uh, the, the, the reason I pulled this out is because he says, that Earth is a world that may or may not actually exist, which I think is a new thought from him. Like, is he actually doubting the reality of his life on Earth now? I can't remember if we talked about that so thoroughly after his conversation with the DM or if the idea crossed his mind. Um, like, I think that he had said something like in the aftermath of that, that the people here must be at least as real as the people on Earth were or something. Like, as far as he can tell. Yeah. So you I, know, at least as real as makes it sound like we're kind of comparing them and I wouldn't compare, you know, the people in my video games to being half as real as I am. Right. That's a good point that he's, he says the people on Arab were at least as real as earth or the other way around. I feel like it was Arab at least as real as earth, but I'm, I'm probably misremembering because we spent more time talking about it than he did thinking about it. So well, I think we covered be, every angle. I don't remember what he said. That could be a hint that he was already starting to feel that earth might not have been real. Like maybe he's buying into the dream skewer theories or something similar to it because it, it sounds like he's thinking Earth might not exist. See, I I guess may or may not exist is a more intense phrasing. I think that at least when we talked about it, I walked away from that conversation. And maybe I'm inserting my thoughts into his head. I can't remember what he was thinking, but I was thinking, okay, Earth and Arab are both simulations, right? Yeah, that's the only way this I, makes sense. That's and, that's I mean that's my thought too. Yeah, yeah. So like. But I don't remember if June thought that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but you're right. May or may not exist makes it sound like, you know, air, like, uh, like if a simulation he's say, exists. Exactly. Yeah. And if he's going to say Arab exists, well, then Earth exists too. So mm-hmm. may or may not actually exist. Maybe it was just like his fun way to deliver that line. Because what's great about it is he does just flat out say this later. Like, I think verbatim. Yes. To, and to so, Raven. Yeah. When, when, he, when I read this on my first read through and he says that, I was like, oh, I wish it just say that and blow our mind. And then later he says it and blows her mind. Um, mm. But yeah, 
I I wonder if he's delivering it that way for kind of like impact or if he actually, you know, is like, well, maybe, yeah, maybe those memories. No, I don't know. If he's beating himself up over things he did on Earth, which he still is, right? Mm-hmm. He, you don't you don't judge yourself for something that never happened. If if someone yeah, plants a memory into you, you know, if you had a dream where you murdered somebody, you don't wake up the next day and just feel awful about being a terrible yeah. murderer, right? Yeah. Even if in your dream you really enjoyed it, like it's and and more so if you knew that someone else controlled your dreams. Like, well, what if you were worried that maybe your dreams are real things that actually happened? Then you might refer to your dreams as things that may or may not exist. Yeah, but that's that's not June's circumstance. No, but he, I, he I is, don't know. It he is dream like skewered, and that it's, way. it's similar. But I I don't know. I think that he thinks that the people and things that happened on Earth were real. Because otherwise, why would he feel bad about you know how he how things went down with Maddie? Yeah. You know. Well, maybe he's beginning to worry that maybe there's like a one percent chance that they weren't real or something, which is why he said may or may not. Or hey. maybe I'm really overreading into this. Well, it, hey, that's what we're here for, dude. Okay. Um, I can't be the only one over reading into things. And yeah. I mean, the fun thing about that is that if he does eventually conclude that earth doesn't exist, then he and Arthur will be on opposite sides of the fence and, right. <laughs> and he'll be able to forgive himself for everything that happened on earth. Yeah. And he'll have a very, very confusing conversation with Arthur who remembers all the same shit about earth that he does. Oh and my June, God. That'd be so epic. And June's going to be like, nah, man, I think we're both just had those memories false implanted. And Arthur who has been like struggling with that, like existential, threat to his his sanity for for four decades or maybe 500 years in four decades is mm-hmm. like fuck man you can't be saying that oh my god you're 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 blowing my mind right now well he'd probably just think that june was insane or something he's like are you fucking kidding me arab's the fake one yeah oh man it could be like the uh the blue dress gold dress thing i i feel like once i saw it the other color i can't even remember what color i usually see it as okay. and then there was that one with the sound um, oh yeah the sounds are super crazy and i was only ever able to hear it like the one way except for maybe one time i can't remember oh really yeah if you just like look at the word written out you hear it as what what word is written out i i didn't get it to work for me usually that does work that's why I like wow you know the um what is that pareidolia where oh that's just like seeing pat- patterns and randomness but one way the to see that is... specifically faces Oh yeah, that's the face thing. Um, yeah. Something else is patterns and randomness. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, you know, you, oh, if you play this song backwards, it says this. Like, no, it doesn't. Oh, right, but if I yeah. if I if I play you the song and ask you if I play it backwards and ask you what you hear, you'll say gibberish. If I play mm-hmm. it backwards and put lyrics under it, you will hear mm-hmm. what those lyrics are. Right. So yeah, long as yeah. they roughly can vaguely be mapped to it. Right. Like, oh man, I love all the things with O Fortuna where uh people yes. put Yeah. People put things like saw some Wookiees. Like, <laughs> Great big Wookiees. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, that's exactly what they're saying. It sure sounds like it. It sticks. Mm-hmm. All right. Alrighty. So uh yeah, the the, the infinite library. Let's them know when the world is going to end because they, you know, read books and newspapers and shit about like, oh, the world is ending. This is terrible. Demons are invading, etc. And she said, except for the last time this happened, uh, instead of that sort of thing, the books just stopped all of a sudden. One day, there just weren't any more books. Game over, man. Game over. Yeah. What the fuck are we going to do now? What are we going to do? I mean, I, Which like I said, optimistically, it would have been the internet, but uh, mm. alternately, yeah. It, you know, I threw in the the aliens quote, but it could just straight up be uh, game over. Like, yes, the story ends. 
right? Oh, like literally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the DM decides to turn it off, unplug it. Yeah. Mm, sad. Or maybe just the library gets exploded. I mean, that's, apparently that's, that didn't happen. But that's that's another like totally plausible thing, which I don't know why that didn't occur to me until just now. The library gets exploded. Like if if the infinite library is this you know repository of future knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it only works in that library. Well, if I blow that place up because I'm the DM and I snap my fingers or I bring a bunch of void bombs, like then suddenly this future magic reading stops working. So maybe in two years, someone decides that, okay, looking at the future is fucked up. We're going to exclude this in two years, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so June's like, well, how'd you avert it? And she says, we didn't. We had a few desperate contingencies that we're going to put into place and agents left the library a week and a half before the end of the world. And when they left, because when people come and go from the library, it changes the contents of it because people in the library can't affect what's outside of it, et cetera. So when they, when these emissaries left to go outside and tell the world, hey, the sky is falling, you've got 10 days to live, um, mm-hmm. suddenly things were pushed back again. And you said that is uh, why you're not worried? I mean, that's part of it. I it It seems like this is there as a perfectly vague thing. Like that you put in a game, be like, oh, look, there's a countdown. Yeah. Right. But usually when there's a countdown in a game, if you don't beat the game by the countdown, you lose the game. Yeah. But, you know, if if you're also controlling the game and really want the game to keep going, you'll just keep pushing the timer up. Right. Or maybe yes, you'll, get, maybe you'll get retries or something like, I don't know. I, I'm not worried about the fate of the world based on the, whatever this library has to say. I'm not sure if I can fully articulate why. I guess just because everything is up for grabs and everything uh, by that, I mean the DM can, can manipulate whatever he wants all the time. Yeah. You know, if, if he wanted to force Raven to come here to talk to June, this would be a good way to do it. You know, That's he just, true. he just fucks with the library a little bit and he gets this conversation going. Cause he's like, Oh, how will he interact to, you know, seeing Maddie? And he just leans back with a tub of popcorn. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, it, I think there was something going on in the world. She said that, uh, this thing happened where the books just stopped after your reset. Uh, that was two and a half months ago. And then for 17 frantic days, they were trying to figure out what had gone wrong. And uh, then after that, they sent out the people for to enact emergency measures. And that was a week and a half before the end of the world. So two and a half months ago in game time, the world was scheduled to end in probably less than a month. And we don't have a timeline because there have been so many timelines where, you know, we don't know exactly how much time has passed or or just a few weeks later, a few days, who knows exactly. But I'm willing to bet that, like, whenever that library reset and they had suddenly the world is ending real soon thing, that it was um, June was in some sort of peril where there was a decent chance that he was about to die. And and like the library was predicting, oh, it looks like he's going to die. And so the world ends soon after because... I don't know, the DM lets things get out of control or the DM loses interest without June there or something. And so that's why I was like trying to figure out what two and a half months ago, what was happening. And I was thinking maybe it was during the fight with Falater, but I'm not sure. I feel like that was like, yeah, maybe, maybe two and a half months. I feel like that was a lot like earlier than, or a lot more recent than we feel like it was. Yeah. Um, Cause they went straight from that to uh, basically straight from that to the down and out. Right. No, I thought they had some vacation time between. Oh, did they take like a week off? No, wait, Salas was dead. They didn't. They didn't take a break. Um, the oh, break you're was right. right before the Falater thing. Yeah, yeah. So maybe and it like it's hard to remember, that. but like the last like ten chapters have all been within the same twenty four hour window. Um, maybe it was during the Larkspur fight. Then I think it's when June got there because I think when 
like he was talking with the council of murder hobos at the, at whatever, the ones who killed Fen. Um, mm-hmm. He had said he's been here for like something like four months, but mm-hmm. I think he was including time chamber time in that. Huh. So maybe they came out just like as he was landing in comfort and zombies were about to eat his brains. Maybe. Um, or maybe the world was ending and just in time June shows up and that's what pushed the timeline back. But oh. they have recent things that saying, well, no, now it's five years out or now it's two years out or something. Right. Yeah. So like if the world is going to end right before June got here and somehow his arrival pushed that back. I don't know. Again, like the DM is writing this book, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's not clear how much authorship he has over, over it, but it seems like he can do stuff. And yeah. so if he doesn't want the story to end, it won't. If he does, it will. So like, you know, this, this little timer on the thing. It, I mean, sort of, but like as June, June and Emerald talk about this in fight club later, like, he he's like i just want to go rush straight for felseed so that i can get arthur and fen back and she's like if you were a dm and your players were like you know what we're only level four right now but we want to get to the end of this campaign let's go rush the final level 15 boss what would you do (laughs) and june's like yeah point taken because he's like yeah i would have let them die maybe the dm is doing the same kind of thing where he does want june to get to the end and he does want to see the whole story but if june dies then well you know june dies and sucks for Erb. Yeah, but then I guess I kind of just wonder how much freedom is made along the way because how does the future keep changing? Um, future reading is always really complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Not not like um, the idea of seeing the future, right? I could know tomorrow's Powerball numbers and that's just like, that could just be a fact like I know yesterday's. But mm-hmm. if we lived in a world with future sight of any sort, like you have to take that into account of, okay, well, what does looking at the future do? And apparently even without doing anything the future keeps changing and so like what future is it even foretelling if the librarians aren't running out there and like you know doing radical world shifts to things i mean yeah but the the library doesn't change um just on the fly it only changes when someone enters or leaves so it's like it's a snapshot of based on how things right now and how things are probably going this is what's going to happen in the future and that's why I was thinking that maybe when the future was about to be over in a few months, that's when June was like bleeding out from rat rot. Oh, oh, maybe that was it. He was in the sewers and he was just about to die. And uh, and then he doesn't die. And so the next time they switch, June is like three levels higher and uh, fighting, I don't know, Amon or something, getting geared up to fight Amon. And so there's like pushes it out to five years instead because now he isn't about to die in the next second. He's probably going to get killed by something before he hits level the middle level cap. Sure. But like if he was going to die of rat rod, but then he didn't, he was already not going to die of rat rod, right? Yeah. But the library is like working with the best information it has at the time it resets. So. But it's telling the future. Like that that's the confusing thing, right? Like I, it, I it, think there's like, and nothing the librarians did by entering or leaving the library did anything about June's rat rod. If we're going to use that as the example. Like, yeah, but like if, if you're the library and you see June is dying there and you're like, okay, he has to make a saving throw. He needs to roll a 19 or 20 on a 20 sided dice to live. I, the most probable future is one where he doesn't live. So here is that future put out there. So you think that it generates like the future books based on like probabilistic outcomes of the, of like a snapshot of the world. That is, yeah, totally my impression, because otherwise nothing would ever change in the library. It would be static. Yeah, see, that's why I'm confused by it. And I guess that makes sense. But, like, I guess that just does mean that, okay, yeah, so there's some randomness elements in the world. Because 
June, you know, was about to, did, and then had rolled a 19 saving throw, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that was always going to be the case, no matter when in time I looked at that. Unless we're saying that, no, no, there actually are these randomness elements. And Mm -hmm. he could have not, you know, survived that or something, right? Right. Um, Honestly, if there's any gigantically compelling evidence that uh, June can be killed and stopped, it's the library stuff, right? Um, Yeah. Especially if we want to say like, yes, he's Uther level, et cetera. If those dipshits had talked instead of tried to kill them all, they could have talked about this, right? Um, yeah. And like, no, look, I mean, it, it seems like the numbers keep changing when I'm about to be killed. So uh, right. that that that's consistent with this whole hypothesis that, yes, uh, I'm A, important, and B, um, there's there's a, a an element of, of luck involved. God, if those fuckers would have just waited 24 hours, Raven would have shown up and they would have heard all this i don't know how much this would have changed their minds i mean all That's they true. all they hear is like what you're telling us couch potato is going to kill everybody all right time to kill all these people <laughs> yeah uh, fair enough yeah they, they seemed pretty hell-bent on like if we see another uther like thing we're killing it mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. well all right i you know uh, we don't know how long the shifts are at the librarian plays we don't know um what the uh what they do like are they kind of sequestered their whole lives um I, oh, well, in that case, let me undelete this. I, I got the feeling that they're not necessarily sequestered their whole lives, because like she said, they have shifts where they move in and out, so the library resets at a pretty regular schedule, and uh, and they once got the good uh, ending, where the library just went on forever and ever, and they were like, cool, uh, we will totally just you know live the rest of their lives and die here in the library to let the world have a great ending, except that there was already a scheduled shift to come in and they couldn't, you know, interact with the outside world so they couldn't stop them from coming in and it reset again. Yeah, it seems well, so like I guess what I'm wondering is like, are the people who work at the library like are they oath bound to like not be big players in the world? Like, all right, no one who works here is allowed to run for office, no one who works here is allowed to try and kill a king, like yeah. that sort of thing, right? I would um, assume so, but I don't know. Like Raven apparently is going out and fucking with the world right now, talking well, to them. She's special. Okay, that's true. Yeah. But I'm also wondering too, like, there's no stopping that shift change. What the hell causes those? Like, it seems like this is a solvable problem. Have the doors locked from the inside. I mean, maybe it's some kind of magic thing. Oh, I'm sure it's some to... I'm sure it's some kind of magic thing, but I'm just thinking yeah. like, you know, if if the world's you know, hey look, the world's gonna go on forever. Yay. Like just the next time the shift is about to change and people go to open the doors and it's locked, they're like, Oh, it must be really good news in there. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> But it obviously can't work that way. So, yeah, it seems like they're going to make a. And I don't think we talk about this too much in the notes, but it seems like they're going to go to the library for a while. Um, it does sound like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, June has library magic unlocked, yep. and or rather, he has the skill. Um, so he might have the knack to go there and master this library, and that'll give us some clue of, as to how this works, which I'm really curious about because mm-hmm. there's a lot of like, again, weird kind of like semi-obvious sounding things that there's going to be explanations for. So um, there was a, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Raven was talking about Uther and she says it was apparent that he was too successful because there are people who legitimately believe that the entire world was made for him. June says it was Raven shakes her head. No. He says, yes, it was. I know I was the one who made it. And she just (laughs) stares at him and I'm like, yeah, you finally blew someone's mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody who's 1700 years old and palled around with their Uther 
and her mouth is agape. Um, so it's I'm just sure. worth, I, I think I put this in my note after that is like, you know, June, you really need to caveat that sentence when you start, cause you keep telling people that yeah. remember how you reacted when you met the person who made this world. Right. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, he should, he I should mean, immediately that, say, I'm the one who made it, watch their mouth open and then be like, but it was an accident. I don't really know how it's kind of a mystery, et cetera, et cetera. Like yeah, I didn't yeah, do yeah. this on purpose, but he, he, he needs to like have that ready. Like, you know, enjoy their, their, flabbergast for a second and then before they try and murder him explain why you know he's not really at fault here yeah because yeah, he's just counting on everyone to have more self-control than him <laughs> yeah yeah she, it, <laughs> which yeah maybe you're talking bethel and they have even less you got to be worried about that <laughs> shit sometimes but yeah she does ask basically the same thing he asked the dm why like why all of it there's i i never believed in a god because it was too horrific to believe in one and um he did just say i created this world like motherfucker caveat that shit right um but uh i guess that you know when she asks him why did he create those worlds like obviously he created those worlds for fun right it was a game he played with arthur and putting fictional characters through trials and tribulations it's exciting and it's cathartic and it's pursued for its own sake you don't need a greater why than that but um i don't know i guess the the question this ultimately comes back to is like why would a future entity take all of june's notes and ideas and shit and make a real world out of them and i guess we've been asking that for the past 120 chapters so there's not too much more to say about it it kind of brings this back to the forefront right um yeah why the hell is all this part of it is obviously or likely it seems to be to improve june somehow or to teach him some lesson or Maybe just fuck with him. But the biggest clue for that is that when he changed who he was so much by changing his his wisdom and knowledge, the game refactored on how that works so that he mm-hmm. wouldn't be a different person. Like, so whatever it was, it's like, no, it's important that you be you for what I have planned, right? At the very least, like, he couldn't just change it that fastly with a, by putting points in things. Like, if if what we have gotten so far is the point, then it does seem like the point was for him to change and grow over time although you know we don't know if that actually was the point or if the dm is just like you know fucking around and having fun like in the sims or whatever yeah and when your sim got too smart that it was going to stop playing you're like okay hold on let me change this right yeah but i feel like you know again that that alone would have been evidence that this whole place has something to do with like let's do something for june you throw in the fact that june authored half the shit here um Mm -hmm. then it's yeah it's it Something, something's up. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if the DM is him or Arthur. If it's him, it's obviously him from the future. Um, it could be Arthur. See, that's the kind of like level of Arthur noping the fuck out of the game that I think is the kind of thing that would actually remove him from the narrative, right? Mm, if he you became know? DM of a new game. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, again, you don't, you don't get to retire by, by moving to a, a really high mountain or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or 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 falling into a really deep hole. Um, right. He tried that. Uh, you get so, to by continuing the cycle of violence. Yeah, or by quitting. And I think that's kind of what what Arthur did. So he whatever he did, he went off script. That's my that's my thing. That's my thinking. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so uh, I had a quick question. Um, he asks why or did Uther kill Vervain, and or why rather. And she's like, where'd you hear that? He's like, oh, Heshnel told me. 
But it wasn't Hedgenell, it was it was Masters. Huh. You're right. It's possible. Yeah, okay, so I found it. He just says, did Uther kill Vervain? And she's like, how do you, t- who told you that? And he just says, it was Heshnal Eric. He didn't say much on the topic. So he doesn't say to his to himself, I'm lying to her for some reason. Yeah. Maybe his misremembering. Maybe it's a typo, like slash, you know, author's slip up. Right, um, right, yeah. But I got the impression that he was like trying to keep the fact that he met and fought her dad out of the conversation. But then he tells her about that later, so... Yeah. Yeah. All right. No good answer there. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it'll be revealed later or something. But at this point, I, 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 I don't see any reason for him to do that. Hmm. Anyways, we do hear about what happens to this world that people have been trying to make it better. They did try to do things like make plastics and polymers. They tried to make TVs. They sometimes solve their own problems. And uh, whenever the world started getting too good, something cropped up happened to turn it into a world of strife and also to keep it at sort of a a medieval level aesthetic and i thought that was like i i felt like the dm was cheating or something because when he first met june there was the thing where he uh in fifth period english class uh the dms tells june that like he can solve all air problem all of arab's problems but he doesn't really care to. He's interested in seeing June try to solve them. Um, but now it kind of sounds like Arab would have been able to solve a lot of its problems on its own. And the DM is like actively sabotaging them and bringing them back into being a buffy-like environment whenever whenever they get too good at it. Like just <laughs> to keep them crippled for June to save them or something. That seems like it might be the case. Yeah, it's like, no, this can't become a land of plenty and security because it's got to stay interesting. Mm-hmm. And that that's a, uh, I'm with you. That's a pretty dick move. Um, mm. I, on the one hand, it's a fun explanation for why they don't have some technology, right? Yeah. Like, how do you guys have radio for presumably like a hundred something years, but like not, you know, no one's sending, you know, moving pictures over this, you know, over the airwaves. Like what the hell? Mm-hmm. Well, we've got a good reason for that. There's a, there's a fucking monster that'll, that'll rape your mind and, <laughs> and end the world. Like, well, that, which, that'll do which, it. Yep. <laughs> which is the DM's way of saying, because fuck you, that's why, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's great because like, that's always a thing. A lot of fantasy has like, oh yeah. In the old times we had flying cars and, you know, more powerful magic. And now after 3000 years of advancement, we're living in the same fucking house as we used to, but we're like less powerful. Right. <laughs> and that never makes any sense. Um, yeah the the trend goes upwards unless like there's some awesome cool explanation like god saying you know no fuck you or the interdict of merlin or something right yeah i but, think a lot of i think a lot of fantasy um has, uh the so this is referencing on a uh base and conspiracy episode which comes out in two days so or two <laughs> days after this comes out so people won't know what we're talking about just yet but we talked to the guy from the roots of progress uh organization and one of the things if you've never was- heard, if you've never listened to an episode of Asian Conspiracy, this is the one I would recommend to everybody. I think it's the most fun I've had. Well, I don't know. I don't want to say like the, because I've had a lot of fun with our random ones. I don't want to digress too much on how, how great it was, but I feel like it's one of our best episodes ever. Such a oh, fun fantastic. conversation. Cool. Uh, so once that comes out, I will edit the show notes of this show. So there's a link to that, which will be on Wednesday. Um, anyways, he he pointed out that 
until fairly recently, there wasn't a idea in culture that human race could progress, that it was natural and expected for things to keep getting better. And I like a lot of fantasy feels like it was written by authors who have also never internalized that. They're just like, yeah, things just stay the same always. Uh, there's just been a fluke the past couple decades, but normally nothing changes. And like, I think we're right. Like across 3000 years, there's going to be some advancement. There's not going to be like uh, Tolkien's world where uh, Elrond was at the battle 10,000 years ago. And they're literally using every, all the exact same technology as they had then. It's a cool indication of how much I guess we're progressing as people that now we need explanations for why things uh, haven't changed. Does that make yeah. sense? No, perfect sense. All right. So this is the thing that you in talked touched on earlier, uh, but then said, I will get to it when we get to it. Because uh, you phrased it really fun. <laughs> yeah. In this chapter, there is a lot of stuff insinuated about the Felseed incident. And like, like you said, this has been first clue dropped to it back in like chapter three or something. And it's it's just been growing and growing, but it's still vague you know like we don't know what happened we just know there was an incident and felseed is a bad thing and i'm beginning to worry that the story might be writing a check that it's gonna have a really hard time cashing because it's really really building up this felseed incident and it's gonna have to be something really big to to justify all of this build-up and mysteriousness and if it was really anyone else i would be starting to get very worried about this like i would be like oh my god they did with this with lost too and then we got the final season of lost and oh my god are you but this is alexander wales and i have faith in him so i think this will turn out fine i i suspect it'll be a sufficient payoff i am curious you know because i the thing is is i don't have expectations it's mm. it's like being like i lo- that's why i loved the phrase a ch- you know a check that's hard to cash because it, it fits so aptly here like you know, someone keeps telling me, no, man, it's a huge number. You're going to be stoked. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah. How, well, how, how much is it? Huge, man. Big. And <laughs> like, so then they, if they drop a number on me, you know, it, am I thinking in terms of thousands or billions? Like, right. So yeah. the thing is, I don't really know um, how I would translate that metaphor to this. Like, I'm excited if it turns out that like the Felseed incident was, I don't know. Um, I can't think of anything innocuous, but, you know if it's a flop it'll be delivered in a way that i think wales is self-aware of but i don't mm-hmm. think i don't think it will be i'm trying to think of like another big thing that he built up to and then revealed um you know like the solace rebirth thing wasn't built up for nearly as long mm-hmm. um but it, it was still built up for a while and yeah. it was delivered in a really great way yeah it was so fantastic it was a smaller check but he he he, he had no trouble cashing that one so yeah, yeah, I'm excited. The uh, the reveal of like what Sven's big secret was actually like pretty pretty big. I was like, oh, I- I'm surprised. She has a kid out there that she abandoned, and she did it because the kid was being getting racially discriminated against because she was his mom. Yeah, I, it's funny because I was thinking in terms of like you know June, I ate you know hundreds of humans or something would have been <laughs> right? like the, the secret dark confession, and yeah. yet you know the the secret son that um, now I think about it is still out there. Although mm-hmm. June has no idea of how to find that kid. I think he actually had that thought, didn't he? Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, like that didn't pay off in the same way that I was anticipating, but it paid off in a different kind of currency that had just as much value. So yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah. It was great. And thus the trust. That's right. 
Okay, so uh, they put um, they put Raven in a timeout for a second so they could talk amongst themselves. And when they bring her back, June says, we're deciding on next steps. And Amaryllis butts in to say, no, we'll decide on next steps when we have more information. We were discussing possible next steps once information is gathered. Uh, once information gathering is concluded. And Raven is like, I see. And looks back and forth between the two of them. And... Like, I thought that just a couple chapters ago, Amy had said, like, I cannot be the leader. No, leadership is not for me. It is your thing. You will be the leader now. And, like, then just now, she's she's taking charge and overruling him. And I think I think she should pull him aside and let him know that she's changed her mind about the taking on the leadership role. Or, or we're going to have another portal incident. I didn't read this as of like violating the chain of command. Mm-hmm. Um, June inaccurately described what they're doing. He says, we're deciding on next steps. And Amaryllis doesn't say, no, we're not. Or like, you know, June didn't say we're coming to the library. And she says, no, we're not. We're doing this. What she says, she clarifies and says, no, we're deciding on the next steps when we have more information. Like what we're doing now is we're discuss- discussing possible next steps. Once information gathering is concluded, right? Like, that's just a clarification on we're deciding on the next steps. It's huh. it's not it's not like he's saying we're going to go left and she's like actually we're going right. See, I felt like it was like it was an actually we're going right thing. I mean, I guess this is just a a difference in how we're in- interpreting the action because to me it felt like a a nullification and and correction rather than than just a clarification. But but I mean, like we're reading the same words. I think it's just what we're bringing to it ourselves. Yeah, I like guess, if someone did that to me, I would I would assume that they're you know at least somewhat challenging. I mean, I, I don't want to say like because I, I, it's not like I'm dictator or something like oh you can't challenge me if I said something wrong. But but the fact that she she contradicts and corrects him on what's basically a very minor point in front of somebody like this, it felt kind of like a power move. I can see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean. I'm all, I'm I'm inclined to give everybody here plenty of slack because they're surrounded by a by a, by a psychopathic uh, murder machine, and Amaryllis has that aggression affliction. But like, I think I, I was seeing it as kind of just like you know if if I'm if I'm the boss, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of idiot yes men who are going to just like nod to everything I say. Yeah. You know, if someone says, yeah. "So what are you guys doing?" Well, we're we're discussing our our plans for this thing. No, actually, we we were talking about this. Like, that's not challenging my authority. That's just like telling me I was wrong, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I would still want that. Um, I, you know, like I think what it means, like that June's team leader is that if he says, "All right, fuck the plan. We're going to Felseed," they'll be like, "Okay, I guess we're all going to go die." But or they'll decide like that. Okay, that's it. We're we're drawing our own line, but. This is just like we're in the process of figuring things out. But like, you know, he wants to go to Felseed when they're talking about it in Fight Club. And she says, we really, really shouldn't. But like, that's not her taking charge, right? But she's also not doing that in front of somebody. Right. I think yeah. that was like one of the big differences. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, I I didn't read too much into it, but I guess I'll keep my eyes open for that sort of thing. Because right. you mentioned like the kind of politic dynamic stuff and... uh it's it's not the kind of thing that was salient to me until he pointed it out, but it's turning out to be really important. Mm. I had a really quick joke here that was funny. Uh, June thinks silently to Amaryllis, sorry about their plans. They were very nice before they got before they got destroyed. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just funny. Um, yeah. 
I don't know if like the the humor tone is communicated with the telepathic speech, but it reminds me of that episode of Futurama where Bender is a god, and then like he meets real God, and he's Bender says, "I was God for a while." He's like, "Yeah, I wa- I, I saw you did you was you were doing well until everyone died." <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's what this reminded I, me th- of. That I, was that an episode. I think that was an actual like hour and a half long special, wasn't it? I think or was it, it was just its own episode. episode. Things got okay. weird with that because those hour and a half long specials they did, I think they did four of them. And then yeah. when they got like re uncanceled again, um, mm. cause that show got taken off the air like four times. They ended up just chopping those movies up and releasing them as, as episodes. Oh, okay. But I think this was a standalone thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, that All is right. not the story we're talking about anyway. Yeah. Who would win in a fight? Coomdina or June? Right. This is near the very end of the chapter. Raven asks, "Can you, I think it's near the end of the chapter. Raven asks, can you stop Kumduna if she decides to kill me? And June says no. And I think June's right. Um, and I think that's worrisome. Like, I don't think he could take Bethel in a straight up fight. And I mean, I think he could take Bethel in the story. But like, he'd have to have the weight of the narrative behind him. Like, it could be a quest and several chapters of struggle or something. And he he could win eventually but but as part of the story like if it if bethel just decides to kill someone i don't think he can he can stop her and she could kill june if it was just like a you know we have a clash of conflicts but personalities right now and it's it's i need to kill you then she could like right now in this during this meeting if bethel wanted june dead for some reason i think that he would be dead unless you know again there was a story thing to help him escape that's i think you're absolutely right and what's what's funny is like you know, there's no way an 11 year old with barely any magic can beat Voldemort and 50 of his followers, right? Or 36, mm-hmm. how many were there? And yet mm-hmm. he does because, mm-hmm. you know, narrative, prophecy, etc. But like, we're in a story where the fact that narrative is in play is something that all the characters are aware of. Mm-hmm. And that, that puts this on another level where, like, I don't know if Bethel understands that, but. Like, Amaryllis probably believes in her heart of hearts that she could never kill June. Right. Like, yep, he's asleep. We're, we're, we're in the time chamber right now. I could go, you know, cut his head off, but I will trip and stab myself in the face if I try, right? Like, yeah. something will happen. Yeah. And so, it's it's so weird to have them be aware of it. Um, but you make a good point. If Bethel wanted to, to sneak attack, June would be fucked. Uh, mm-hmm. But, like, if June has the time to plan first, I do think he could blast her into oblivion with void bombs. And now that you've brought up the point, I think you've made a very compelling argument with me for why we need to initiate a first strike against uh, Bethel and kill her. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, I mean, technically, you could say that of every, anyone in the world, right? You, you talk, No, only everyone who's super overpowered and murderously inclined. Well, I mean, in the real world, anyone with a gun could kill you. So, Well, I'm, not a, I'm not a fantasy hero. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah so yeah. they don't have any reason to. Well, and yeah, I mean, the fate of the world doesn't rest on my shoulders. Yeah. You know, if if, if they kill me, they suck. And I, I hope that, you know, something, you know, whatever the proper future is carried out where they're rehabilitated and regret what they did. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's not like then a dragon swallows the planet. So. All right. So we have decided Bethel must die. Yeah. You made a really compelling point. I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to go there until you brought the idea. Up, but thank you. <laughs> no problem. I'm yeah. glad we're on the same page. All right. Um, well, speaking of kind of on the subject of who would win in uh, a fight, chapter 124, <laughs> Fight Club. What happens in this club of fighting? Unfortunately, it's disappointingly just what's on the tin again. Mm. Um, Amaryllis and June take some time off in the time chamber. And 
it all builds up like things are going to get, you know, frisky real fast, but then they, they absolutely don't. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we get to that though, I think as they're walking in, um, I love this. June's thinking to himself, it was very hard to tell with our house, but I thought that she was pleased with me. And I, I pressed pause to, to write in there. I'm like, I think if Beth was pleased with me, I'd take a serious look at my life choices. <laughs> I do not Uh-oh. want to be the kind of person that Bethel is pleased with. Right? Yeah. Like if Voldemort walks up to you and is like, good job, kid. You're like, uh-oh. Oh, shit. <laughs> do, yep. do I suck? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Amaryllis is just, hey, I want to punch something. Are you available? And I was like, all right, fight club. And then it can end in a sweaty makeout session. Come on, June, rebound. And then I said, I'm playing it light on purpose. I understand he's grieving and I miss Fen too. So, um, but yeah, it's, I thought, I like, I thought it was gonna be the kind of like bloodless kind of like spar match that she and Valencia had. Right. Oh yeah. But no, no. she wanted to, in the words of what's his butt from that movie, destroy something beautiful. Oh, 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 that was in fight club. Yeah. Wasn't it Jared Leto that that he beats the shit out of? Was it Jared Leto? I hope so. Slash think so. Oh, like at the time Jared Leto wasn't anyone. So. I, I didn't recognize him. I, I don't really, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh my God, did you know this bad thing about this actor or whatever? But because yeah, yeah. usually it's like, whatever, they're like an asshole. But he was like mm-hmm. a weird level of an asshole, like, you know, like mailing dead mice and shit to like his, his co stars and um, being just like all around kind of super uncomfortable. Again, he, he was, yeah. Yeah. Like, like being a dick is one thing. Um, the, again, the, the mailing dead animals and, that sort of stuff. It just seems like, okay, you're way too full of yourself. Like I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. He he is not a very emotionally mature person. No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You said, right. You uh, pulled out this lay on the ground. Amarillo said (laughs) in the common room. And you were like, Oh, that kind of fight club. Larry eyes. Well, then she, she like mounts him and leans on his chest and was like, what does she say? Oh yeah. Um, she reaches forward and grabs his chin under her hand and she's like straddling his chest and she's like a fresh start. And now after having read the next sentence, that is ominous. Yeah. I don't know what tone she's saying it in. She's just leaning towards him, grabbing his chin. And I'm like, Oh dang. You're right. Like it says she dropped all pretense of being calm, but that could mean like she stopped hiding her lust. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. But like but, I, what, when I read a fresh start, I don't like at this point. I don't even remember what I thought at first because now I know what's happening. And when I read a fresh start, I'm like, oh shit, she is all sorts of pissed. But uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I may have been misreading it too at the time, and I've just forgotten. But she fucking lays into him. Yeah, it's rather intense. Um, it's, she... it's literally like the Jared Leto scene from uh, from Fight Club. Yeah. And she proceeds to beat the ever-living shit out of him in such a way that absolutely does not end in a makeout session. Um, He breaks a bunch of bones, burns through all of his usable bones, healing them. And, like, I think he's down 10% of his blood, which Which, is is twice the amount of blood from a regular person. He has twice as much blood, so, like, 10% for him is the volume that would be 20% of mine, right? But I I can give up 10% of my blood. Point is, he's, he's fucked up, and I think he's down to like three quarters of his health, right? Yeah. Like, and I guess I'm not sure what his HP meter. I remember like how confusing it was when he like took a rock to the head and it like did more or less damage than he thought it should or something. But it's I been know, a long can... time since he, he's even told us the number on there. So, 
turns out that you can lose between 30 and 40% of your total blood volume before you pass out. That's good to know. Yeah. You can lose quite a bit of blood. I'm surprised. Thank goodness. Yeah. Fingers crossed that never comes up. So she's wailing on him, right? And, yeah. Uh, she has this thing. She When she first starts wailing on him, she start, opens up with, it's all your fucking bullshit we're going through. And like, I... I mean, she's right, right? Like, it's his bullshit they're going through. This is, He's the reason for all their pain. To be fair. To be fair. It's not his fault. Yeah, it's the DM's fault. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, he's he's there, but it's like, you know, it's, it's not like he, whatever, talked shit to the wrong people and started a bunch of fights that now they're going to have to, you know, solve, right? No, it's just, it's, it's just insane bad luck for whatever bizarre circumstances their life is. Yeah, I guess I guess she's talking more like a, a villain than a, a hero at this point. But you, you can also kind of understand if you have the villain um, aggression, mental affliction. I could relate to it, sort of that that anger, even though it wasn't his fault. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like we talked about with uh, June was in, like that super depressed spot. Um, oh, and, yeah. You know, he he's got all of his shit and he's wailing on everyone near him, but like not quite as violently. And I get it. And so what she's saying is kind of true, but it's also true through the, you know, bloodlusted lens of being just unreasonably furious right now. Yeah, that is God. That's a shitty mental affliction. Yeah. It's like I, I can't think of many that would be much worse than just that kind of rage. Yeah. I, you know, the one thing that it's not clear about with the mental afflictions is like how intense the drive is. You know, is she mildly inclined towards violence or is she like just ripping her hair out like needs to hit something? I get the impression it's more the latter, huh? Yeah. Well, I think it also makes a big difference just how powerful you are. Like if a four-year-old has this mindless aggression, uh, mental affliction, that's not that big a deal. They can flail their fists against the couch or something. But like if someone with access to blood magic and bone magic has this level of aggression, then bad things are going to happen around them. And that's like, the more powerful you are, the more it sucks to be that enraged and out of control. Agreed. Yeah. Anyways. Yep. Luckily, this stuff will yeah. wear off eventually. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, June, like you said, uh, June is is saying that he deserves all this, uh, and you disagree with him. And I think Amaryllis does too, because she says, Valencia got in your head. And June says she, she was right. And, um, you know, I, I accepted on faith before we got to this point that like someone possessed by a devil could fuck things up just with their words in a way that was so unbelievably bad that the world is better off just killing all non-anima ASAP to prevent devils from getting a toehold. Right. But like, it was, it was kind of hard to imagine. Like I could see a demon. Yeah. Demons just going around murdering people and, and causing misery. That, that makes sense. But like, just by lying, how are you going to make things that bad off? But uh, now having seen, you know, what Valencia has wrought just with some words and and how it's affecting June to the point where, like, yeah, he's saying that she was right and he believes she was right. Like, I, uh, I, I get it now. And I think having it displayed to us again, instead of instead of just telling us, letting us experience it through the course of several chapters is really effective. And I'm fo- most impressed. And the, the other fun thing about that is this is an on-anima with the best of intentions, right? Mm-hmm. If she had the worst of intentions, imagine what she could do. Right, so like, yeah. You know, it, it's just like one of those unfortunate things. It's like, oh, shit, they're not anima. But 
we all know that this is for the greater good. Like, yeah. and like no one has any qualms about it because this is what happens when they're trying like to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and the other thing with like, uh, you know, Valencia got in your head and he's like, yeah, but she was right. I, you know, if someone's mind fucking you and afterwards you feel like, I still feel like they were right. Even though I know I was being mind fucked. I think that just means you're more thoroughly mind fucked than you thought you were. Mm-hmm. But like, the thing is, is it, I think what she said was true. But that's just part of what makes, like, this whole thing so nefarious, right? So sinister. Yeah. Yeah. Like, other than, like, how it didn't quite deliver what it was going for, there's that infamous scene in Dawn of Justice when Batman's fighting Superman, and he's got him at spear point, like a kryptonite spear point, he's stepping on him, he's going to stab him in the face. And Superman says, save Martha. Um, so... Are you about to defend the save Martha scene? No, I, I, can, I can do that another time. Um, okay. But... What it would do to me if I was Bruce, like mm-hmm. that, because that gave him pause, right? Uh-huh. What I would have done, and like, I would be like, holy shit, he's way more of a threat than I thought. And I already thought he was damn threatening. He's now engaging on psychological warfare on a level I had no idea he was capable of. He needs to be killed immediately, right? Huh. Instead, he lets it stop him. Yeah. I would have thought, oh, he's also psychic. Shit. And stabbed him in the face, right? <laughs> awesome i mean i'd like to think that i probably wouldn't be in the business of fighting superman in the first place but but like bruce's martha wasn't in danger right or no no martha was yeah so like it doesn't even make any sense that he would say save martha right no as a as a psychological manipulation tactic well the thing is it it but it worked that's the thing yeah so what an accident but the the non sequitur of well but superman didn't it worked and, and it was an accident for Superman, but Bruce didn't know that it was an accident. All Bruce knows is that Superman made some noises, and now I want to kill him less, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like, oh my god, I should kill him even more now. Yeah. Okay, I see. Okay, I think I finally got your point. So, anyway, I'm not saying we need to kill Valencia, but I am saying we need to keep a close eye on this devil business. We need to keep some kind of kryptonite spear at her throat. I feel like... You know, when she eats the souls, she gains, like, its traits or whatever. So as long as she, like, eats the souls of, like, the good, innocent people they've killed and not, like, the falliters, then she'll be just unable to take in a devil and she won't be, whatever, fueled with all this evil power. And give her some time to just develop as a person, right? Make her more comfortable in her own skin. I mean, I think she doesn't have to have a soul in her at all, right? She could just not be eating anyone. But they have no way of verifying that she's not using a devil otherwise, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this is kind of just like she's on probation. Okay, yeah. Um, All right, well, June and Amaryllis get to talking. Yeah, he he tells her about the Maddie thing, and she's like, well, heckin' darn June, there's more narrative shit you could have told me about. Um, And he's like, and I feel like a shitbag about it. And she's like, oh, you feel like a shitbag. Well, let me me tell you about my childhood. When I was 12, I was promised to marriage, and you know, I didn't like Larkspur that much, but my grandma told me that, oh, he's a perfectly handsome man and he's only eight years older than you. And try not to make things hard for him. Try not to cry if it's too painful and all these other things. I'm sure it'd make your blood curdle knowing you. And yeah. he says, yeah, bleh. And I put, yeah, a second that bleh. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Like I, my skin crawled just reading that. Like whales really brought home this point hard. Like pre-modern cultures are absolute shitholes. Like twelve-year-old children were required to have sex with just 
anyone and it was their the, the person they were promised to for political reasons and then it was their responsibility to not make him feel bad like that's fucked up it's wild because like this just is a quick blow by thing and like this is the kind of like chilling horror stuff that whales can can pull out and you know this is just kind of giving a firsthand or like a historical fictional account of like actual history right yeah. um so it, that makes it all the more horrifying but it's just uh yeah it does a good job of yeah it sure does make my blood curdle i uh, curdle isn't what i say it chills my blood and sets it on fire right yeah um yeah. but either way it's it it makes me pissed and sad at the same time <laughs> yeah and now it's all part of Emerilis's like, you're not so bad, dude. Get over yourself. I don't even know what you're talking about. I know. She's a good friend. She, uh-huh. you know, as as she puts it at she's some like, point later. She's like, your culture is stupid. Kind of, yeah. But she, she puts it less tactfully than she would have, like, usually would have or something. But later on, she's like, you don't suck, man. Like, you know, you, you're, or what does she say? That she she doesn't soften the edges of what she's saying. But over and over, she's saying nice things. And um she's yeah she's good i like her she's like look you had consensual sex i don't know what the big deal is i was supposed to fuck a when i was 12 and not make him feel bad like fuck me man yeah no one was telling me like hey you know we're protecting your rights we're not gonna let this happen they're like hey don't cry or you'll you know bum him out right yeah 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 it's it's gross shit all right um so anyway amaryllis had it rough Yes, she did. So, you know, if she if she's a cold, calculating, badass Slytherin now, like again, I'm I super sympathetic to how she got there. I'm also not, you know, I don't have any problems with where she is either. But um, mm-hmm. it's again, people are made by their histories, and you know, that's just that's she grew up in a den of vipers. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad that she's as functional as she is. Quite honestly, yeah, she's she's crushing it. Yeah, and she does talk about how um. She still has all these feelings for Solus, and uh, and that's really hard for her because like Solus doesn't reciprocate those feelings, and now like her body's changed back, and Solus looks like someone else totally. And and uh, June, after hearing all this, he's like, "Look, I'm sorry, that sucks. I would endorse making alterations to your soul in this instance for what it's worth." And Amaryllis says, "Thanks. I don't know how to do it though on a mechanical level. Otherwise, I would have petitioned the council ages ago." Uh, which I, you know, I'd like, it sounds to me based on this, that like making significant alterations to the soul is actually pretty hard, like literal surgery in the real world kind of hardness. And it takes a level of mastery that you can't fake. Um, and that based on this also makes me suspect that it's a lot more likely that Amaryllis was like just asexual straight up. And then there was an exception carved out just for June. So it was an aberration and uh, it was uniquely easy to alter to, to fix that one aberration. Um, which, first of all, I was wondering if you had an opinion on if that was the case, but also like, why the fuck would the DM like just do just that? I mean, we, 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 we can't know the mind of God, right? Um, <laughs> it, he works it, in mysterious ways. Yeah. If he's going to do asshole stuff, you know, who knows why he's doing it? Um, I don't know. I, I think that she was probably asexual-ish or like mostly. I don't know if it's the kind of thing that you can turn off through will of effort, but if anyone could, it would be her. Mm-hmm. And that she actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean... I guess that, she does say that later, that right. like, she did it. Yeah. yeah, she says she did it, but, like, is she in control of her thoughts, right? Like, if the DM Whoa. was going to make her, like, hey, I want you to be in like with June, 
he could just like make her want to want that. Right. Yeah. So like we, we, we can never know like where his hidden hand is playing in or how much autonomy any of these people have. Right. Yeah. Um, but I get the feeling that she, she saw it as like, okay, now being, you know, tied to this guy who's clearly going to be like the next God King of the planet. That's going to be super important for like all the good that I can do by being next to him. And mm-hmm. let's, let's make this happen. And then it turned into something real. Right. Yeah, yeah. But did the DM have a hand in that? Who's to say? Wow. I, I am glad though, that when she talked about like the soul magic stuff that quote, fix my feelings of soul magic unquote, isn't the solution to all of the party's problems. Cause that would have been kind of unsatisfying. Yeah, totally. But look at that. Grax depressed. Not anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah then then there, there wouldn't be a story anymore yeah it would, it would just be a, a fast path to super happies yeah god i just recently read a book like that where every store every problem could be fixed with magic and it, it became boring pretty darn quick it's like oh there's a problem in this story but there's a spell for that and yeah anyways <laughs> sounds like bad <laughs> moving writing. on yeah i that's what i thought so they're talking about their circumstance and amaryllis size and says Look, it's not just that there are setbacks. It's the insidious idea that no matter what I do, I'm going to hit some unforeseeable roadblock somewhere. And mm-hmm. she's thinking about what Raven had said, like about, oh yeah, technology this, technology that, those all end of the world. And I totally get why that's annoying Amaryllis. Because, you know, these this, these are like the things that she spent apparently a couple of years working on. And mm-hmm. they're all going to have to just go by the wayside. But wouldn't it be kind of an ego boost to you to to you to know that you kicked so much ass that God himself had to intervene. I mean, yes, yes, it would, but, but it would still be frustrating. Is, it would be so frustrating <laughs> to be like, Oh, I guess right. I'm not the protagonist. I'm not allowed to have major effects on the world. They will all get caught blocked. I bet if June was trying to make televisions, he could get away with it, <laughs> which is probably true. Maybe. <sighs> I mean, you know, it, if the, if the book had just, like, for a dozen chapters been following June in the time chamber for eight months making TVs, he'd probably have found a way. I don't know. I feel like the DM wants him to do something fun to, like, save the world, right? Like, if it was going to be through, like, and look, now we have, like, a way for you guys to seize the means of production and put, you know, <laughs> money in your hands and food in your, food in your food on your tables. Like, yeah. you know, like, the DM wants him to see, wants him to hit something really big with a really big sword, you know? <laughs> right, Yes. Like, no, you solved this problem by fighting. I don't want you to solve it with, like, talking and thinking. Mm-hmm. I think that's what he wants. Some talking and thinking is good, too, but there also has to be fighting. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, God of War, great game. Six and a half hours of cutscenes. It does not feel like there's six and a half hours of cutscenes because they're all seamless. And mm-hmm. it's punctuated with enough badass, you know, punch the thing that you never get bored. Um I mean, that's well, maybe, lightly, maybe if but... you punch the couch potato or something. <laughs> I mean, in the process. Yeah, it's it kind of makes the like you know Uther somehow hit a demon to knock through the planes of existence. Like, where the hell is yeah. the couch potato? Yeah. Like, is it is it actually at all possible that any of the magics available that aren't excluded or whatever, if all five gods and June wanted to kick this thing's ass, could they? Mm, or is it just probably. like is it just like six feet to the left of the universe and they can never get there? Well, maybe we will find out in the coming couch potato chapter. <laughs> I if they're gonna have to fight anything that they've seen so far, I I, I don't because I don't know what a fight with the couch potato would look like, right? Yeah, I I want them. I don't know. I dragon, imagine it'll be dragon some kind fight of like, has to happen. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I imagine Couch Potato would be some kind of like battle of the wills, like a, a ghost in a shell kind of hacker scene because apparently like it tries to hack into your brain through the TV, right? Through patterns. Yeah. That that reminds me and they it looks like the from the trailer that Emma, that it's gonna look fun on the screen, but the magic and wheel of time is done in a way that like unless you're throwing fireballs is invisible. Okay. And so like a lot of it is trying to dominate the other person by blocking off their access to magic or vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. And what it just looks like is just two angry women staring at each other. Okay. Like if you, if you can't see the magic, you just see two angry and it's, it's women all, almost all the time in the books. Um, mm-hmm. Just like looking at each other pissed. Mm. And, but if you're another person who can see the magic, you're like, Oh my God, I can see the whole fight happening. Right. Nice. So is, that's, that'd be the fight with couch potato. No, I think the DM wants him to hit stuff. that's why why, actually remember how fun it was going to be to watch a soul battle with falliter yeah but he ended up cutting his throat out yeah but like that the actual physical action with falliter was only a couple paragraphs the majority of the fight with him was the psychological fighting and the and the figuring out the tricks right but they didn't it didn't end with june dominating him in a soul fight because the dm wanted blood well, that's true. Maybe like Maybe. at the end, yeah, <laughs> the, the couch potato materializes and then June's punching him in the face. There, grab his meat suit. Stab it. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> we forced him to emanatize into a physical body. Get him. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're talking about this and how frustrated Amaryllis is about it. And she says, if it's going to be like that for everything that I try to do, then maybe we should just follow the quest in front of us and do what the dungeon master wants. And June replies that that's not my style. Uh, when I was DMing, I would always throw curveballs at the players when it looked like they had a straight path in front of them. And I was really glad that he was there to tell her that. Because if I was Amaryllis and I kept getting cock-blocked like that by God, I think I probably would have given up too. Um, and then I thought about it a bit longer. And then I thought, you know, maybe that's, that's, that's basically just life. You, you do shit and you fail. And after a while, you get over that, and you try again, and you fail again, and you just keep doing that until eventually you get the message that this isn't really your forte, and you just give up for good and move on uh, to hopefully something you're better suited at. Or possibly you succeed, and then you become, like, you know, really successful in your field, and that's great. Or third option, you just spend your whole life hoping and doing and trying and failing over and over and over like some fucking Van Gogh. And like, and sometimes you're Van Gogh, and sometimes you're just a shitty painter that nobody ever notices after you die. And I think that's the shit thing about life. That like, in games, you have some hints as to whether you should keep pursuing something or not. Uh, like, this is a dead end, don't bother with it. You get the message after a while, or yeah, this is what you're supposed to be doing, keep at it, even if it's hard. And like, June is getting the game, game treatment, which is awesome and kind of fun and fulfilling. And Amaryllis is just getting the real life treatment and real life is a bitch and that sucks. So I also be very frustrated if I was Amaryllis. Yeah. June gets to see numbers go up. Uh, yeah. Right. But that said, I think you're being too hard on real life. Like Amaryllis's life is literally being screwed up, screwed with by the master of the universe. You know, mm. our, our struggles are manageable. You know, if, if painting isn't your thing, you know, if like you're just not hitting the Van Gogh levels you're, you're striving towards, you either recalibrate your goals or you change careers right and you're right like it is a matter of trying and failing and succeeding or whatever but like but how, that, how that many can decades be fun. do you how many decades do you try and fail and try to get better before you admit that this isn't this isn't a thing you're good at and you move on or or like 
how do you know if you're quitting too early? And if you just went a little longer, you could do it. That's part of the mystery. Right. Yeah. That's why life's a bitch. You know, you don't find out until after three decades of failing that you just kind of sucked at this and you spent the last three decades of your life sucking. And unfortunately, you're not immortal yet. So that's a good third of your life gone. So I think that's maybe why it's important to like orient yourself with regards to like your goals and your whatever, like the the end game is of your of your life prospects slash plans or whatever. Right. Like do that with fun along the way. Right. Um you know, like there are people who are like, no, I want to work a really stressful, super high income career and then retire at, you know, 40 or something. Um, and they will just sit there and they will hate it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't you rather work till 45 and like really like your job? Like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, and I'm not telling people how to live their lives, but like, that's, that's what I plan to do, except I'm going to work probably past 45. But like, it's, I, you know, don't hate your life. And so if, if, you know, the thing is, if you're, if you're not going to be Van Gogh, well, at least you had fun painting. And if you're not having fun painting, then why the hell do you want to be Vincent Van Gogh, right? Because you don't want to just have fun. You want to be good at the thing. And you don't know if you're good at the thing unless other people say, yeah, that's pretty good. Nah, just, I think you just got to get, you know, girls and everyone just want to have fun. And if they don't, <laughs> they should. I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I For me, fun, fun and, you know... I guess more exactly like pleasure, but that's way too like generic and overused. Um, you know, as long as you're enjoying yourself, I don't know. That's, that's my big life advice. Have a good time. Whatever it is you're doing. That's pretty darn good life advice. That's pretty dude. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Like, you know, speaking of dude, I suck at bowling, but it's fun to do once in a while. Maybe if I tried really, really hard for 30 years, I'd be the best at it, but I don't really want to, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a good point. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, June is thinking to himself that so much of Arab had my fingerprints on it. And so many of the decisions that I'd made felt in its creation were the decisions I would have made. It felt like telling me to go fuck myself. And I'd had the idea that maybe the DM is Alexander Wales. Like the literal author, Alexander Wales? Yes. That he wrote himself in and okay. he'll be like, I'm, I'm writing this story. Some, some sort of complete fourth wall break. So this has also occurred to me. But I kind of dismissed it because generally when books try to put the author into the book, it doesn't work out well. Yeah, I've never read anything that where that happened. It just like we were talking about, do I think it's Arthur? Do I think it's somebody else? And I'm yeah. like, well, if it's anybody else, you know, having it just be like his therapist is definitely a possibility. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it could be a game at the mall, but that strikes me as kind of a little unlikely just given how like fucked up this is. Like it's certainly not just a mall game because this is rated r right so at the very least he had to you know this is something built for him yeah it could be self-insert you know the dm is 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 so i just threw out the idea of it being alexander wales and now i'm finding the idea attractive because it seems to go against the grain but i have no idea i think that would be i mean it could work i don't i don't know how it would work like he just turns to the camera and winks and be like i hope you guys had fun reading my book like (laughs) i mean it if it's done that way, it'll be done well, but I've never read anything like that where the author is a character, a self-aware character in the story, right? It, it happens every now and then, but okay, I don't know. Every time I've seen it happen, I thought it was pretty bad. Yeah, it sounds it's, bad. Yeah, but, you know, if anyone could pull it off, it's probably Alexander Wales. Yeah, we'll put that as a very distant option. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you can keep looking for that as we're reading, like with that third hypothesis in mind now yeah 
All right. I had this, this last thing here from Amaryllis that I liked where I said that like, she wasn't, you know, polishing the edges of how she's delivering nice things. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, well, you wanted to save Val talking about the portal thing. You know, it wasn't the right choice, but at least you're trying to make a mo- be a moral person and save one of the members of our party. That's what I mean when I say I can count on you. You don't always do the right things, but you're fumbling in the direction of following your own moral code. <laughs> and he's like, thanks? Yeah. And I'm like, that's not, that's not a bad diss. It's, but it is a diss, right? <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's why like, I also agree with him being like, should I say thank you here? Because Nazis also follow their own moral code. So... <laughs> Is she just saying that, like, you're predictable in that you have a moral code and that's better than being insane? <laughs> like, the, sure. The, it, what she's saying sounds like a diss. It sounds bad. But she's saying it like she means them to be good. So I am confused. I think she's she's saying it like she means it to be good. So I'm going to take it that way. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, sure, Nazis had their own code. But say what you want, man. At least it's Nethos. Um, <laughs> right. That's a lebowski quote i do not endorse yeah, yeah. nazism um, right 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 yeah i mean say what you want about the tenets of national socialism dude at least it's an ethos uh i think i think what she was saying is that he does the and i didn't i wasn't really aware of the trope until you articulated it ages ago about good is stupid mm-hmm. i think that's what she's saying it's like yeah no you do the good is stupid thing oh, I, I, can, okay. I can count on you to run into the building to save the to save the orphans even if that means that we could all die because that's what heroes do. Exactly. Because that's what heroes do. I was sent the clip to put into earlier episodes where Steven said that, and I thought I put them in, but I guess I didn't. So I'm going to edit those ep- that episode and put them in um, so people in the future can hear them correctly. And I apologize to our, all, our, all our listeners who did not get the cool clip of it's, Thor saying that's what heroes do. It's okay. Uh, June... Gets back to talking about Maddie, and he says, I, it was like I was trying to rebuild my life in the dumbest possible way at the expense of her emotional well-being. And, hmm, okay. I said, yeah, that was the bad thing that he did. And then you made a comment that I thought was interesting, but you have now deleted that comment. I feel like we kind of talked about this already. Um, I think that Maddie, as described in the text, I don't know if she had the presence of mind to consent to sex, but that's not really what he's talking about here. He's owning up to the thing that you were talking about in that chapter, which is like, I mean, he's being hard on himself here, too. He's not saying I was, you know, it was either kill myself that night or date Maddie for a week and kill myself the next week. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he doesn't he's not saying how low he was. He was just saying like, nah, you know, I was fumbling and I, I did it at the expense of her emotional well-being. I think if he gave the full context of just how bad of a place he was in, he, he would come off less bad here, but he's, he's still wanting. The other thing that we didn't point out is that when Amaryllis is whipping the shit out of him, he keeps mm-hmm. thinking he deserves it. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And he's, that's, he needs to, he needs to knock that stuff off. Yeah. But no, the thing I was commenting on here is I'm not sure I picked this up before. Like you thought that Maddie was actually like, I don't know, mentally retarded or something. Like she couldn't God, consent no. to sex. No, no. no. I, okay. I just think that she was, emotionally immature and that that this was a decision that she couldn't again like signing a loan that you know she she didn't know what she was agreeing to and didn't like she thought oh you know this this cute guy he he will talk to me no one talks to me because i'm super annoying and i type like this and i and i really annoy people when i talk like this and i'm really i'm really off-putting this guy's not he's not running away from me i like him i want him to talk to me and then he does and it's like oh this guy's boring um like that's I, that, I that's mean, the vibe that I got. 
we we don't get a lot about you know her her presence of mind or whatever but i i don't think that she couldn't consent to sex like she obviously did consent to sex it was consensual and i think well, that there are would have consented if she if that marriage had gone through right yeah yeah but amaryllis didn't want to have sex valid but she would have said that she wanted to i mean i don't know i i might be out of steam on this like i'm okay i i, I don't want to flog a dead horse or anything but like if you thought that i was saying that that it was okay they had sex even though she couldn't consent to it like i i just want to way back that up and say i i do not think that non-consensual sex is in any way okay i just think that maddie probably could and uh did consent to it no totally i i never mistook you otherwise and so maybe it is worth clarifying that if i ever conveyed that no i i i think that she's too stupid to make decisions that she might like not just regret but you know can can impact her life in a harshly negative way right um okay well hold on hold on let uh, let me dive into that because i think that uh that is probably the case if we're talking about pre-industrial societies or something that had very strict sexual restrictions and maybe for good reason that like you know you don't ever have sex outside of marriage and if you do that is i don't know a branding offense or whatever but like I, I guess I should have picked up on this earlier. You've compared it a few times now to John Mulaney taking out a loan at 17 for $170,000. And yeah, that is a huge thing and which she probably could not have consented to. Uh, I, I said the same thing about marriages. But like, this isn't that. This is a 15-year-old wanting to bang. And if you're safe about it, there's not going to be kids. There's not going to be STIs. There's... Sure, there's some emotional repercussions, but that's part of what being 15 is, is trying out new things and feeling through your emotions and having the sex if you want to have the sex. Like, I don't think this is a big, earth-shattering, psyche-altering thing to have sex with someone or to want to have sex with someone. It's something she tried out and didn't really work for her with June. Yeah, I mean, you're you're mostly, I, I mean, I think we agree on like 98% of this, and it's the 2% that it is a very dead horse, but... Um, you know, just to give it one last strike, I think that, uh, you know, this is Bumblefuck, Kansas, who knows where the nearest Planned Parenthood is. I do not get the impression that the girl is wearing cat ears and gluing shit to her face has, you know, an understanding or inclination to have safe sex. Maybe she does. Who knows? Um, you know, the fact that he left her crying afterwards probably means that it wasn't awesome for her. And like, like yeah, it or not, society currently like puts a good deal of stuff on like, you know, I guess losing your virginity mm-hmm. and uh, hers sucked enough that she was crying about it. And so like, you know, yeah, it's a bad thing. Bad things happen. We can't just say boohoo, wah. But yeah. when it's somebody who's old, old enough to have known better, who did it with her, I can kind of get like why society gives that a thumbs down. Um, I, you know? Yeah, yeah, for me, just like, the big thing what like so you were you were kind of defending june uh when craig was calling him a total awful piece of shit and what a bad place he was in and i mean i agree with what you've said but the thing that really pissed me off and the reason why i agreed with craig and i was in no position like no mind frame to give cut june any slack at all is because it, it said in the text that he sent her home crying and i'm like how fucking hard is it to not send home the person that you just had sex with crying like, what an asshole. You, you couldn't be a little comforting? You couldn't... That was what really pissed me off about June, that he was he was, was a shitty... Fact, it was the fact that he wasn't a, like, 
gentle and thorough lover. Yes, he was a shitbag to her, and that really sucks. And he would have been a shitbag to someone who was the same age. Like, it wasn't the age thing that was the problem. It was the fact that June was not good to her. And see, I think maybe this is where I'm at with, like, the age thing, because it correlates to maturity and stuff. Like, if if he had sex with Amaryllis and she cried afterwards, like, Amaryllis is in a position where she can own the risk, right? Like, she's like, okay, this could end badly for me, for me emotionally, and I'm prepared for that. Maddie doesn't know what she's getting into. And, you know, if I don't know why she was crying. Maybe it was from the shock of, like, I can't believe I just gave, gave up my virginity to this, you know, mopey little asshole. <laughs> or maybe because it's maybe because it's it physically hurt or something, right? But mm-hmm. either way, June was so obviously not the guy who's going to pat her on the back and you know comfort her through whatever she's struggling with, and that was obvious yeah. before they banged. And any any reasonable adult would have seen that from across the street, right? Right. So, June, yes, June should not have had sex with her, but and since, because of since, that reason, and, and since Maddie's not a reasonable adult, she didn't see that he was not a good partner from across the street, right? That that's what I was getting. Um, at. I mean. Are you saying that only people who are yes? Able I'm saying to whatever you're saying. Be, okay, I, I, I'm well, sorry about that. In that case, people should not be consenting to sex before they're in their like twenty, their late thirties. Yeah, right. You'd have yeah. to be like in your late twenties, and you had to have been in multiple relationships, sexual relationships already before you can consent to sex. Like that's. I, I don't think that's what I'm saying, and I don't think that's like like I just said, Amaryllis, aged seventeen ish, nineteen soul age body whatever right but Mm -hmm. like whatever uh virgin princess you know Mm -hmm. if if she wants to to get with june she'll be like okay i know what i'm getting into and this could end badly but because i'm like aware enough to see five minutes into my own future or lay out five minutes of you know possible outcomes of this i prepared for this this you know i i can do this right um like I could, I can, I know what I'm agreeing to. Sure, but Amaryllis is a very special case, and most humans aren't like that. Of of even you know, like I said, even in their twenties. Yes, I mean, I think that if you're fumbling around with other with other kids or whatever, it's one or other young adults, it's one thing. But for you know, not well, to, if anything, not, not to someone... not, not to speak ill of Fen, but like you know, if, if someone you know in their thirties is trolling around the high schools looking for somebody because they're easy to get in bed, knowing that like. Oh, they're they're too stupid to see that I'm such a bad catch, right? They yeah, just they yeah. just see boobs, like exactly. that. That's super uncool, right? Right. That is the type of person that shouldn't be having sex with someone in their teens, right? Yeah. No, I mean we are agreed there. Yeah. Like, see, I, I think we agree on enough of this that <laughs> I I thought this was going to be our shortest episode ever. Um, oh, okay. But don't get me wrong. I'm. I mean, I let's 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 like let's, honestly, I think Maddie would have been better served by having someone who was older and more mature than June and actually did like, you know, treat her like a good person. You you don't want to necessarily bang other dumb kids that are, don't know what they're doing and are going to treat you the way June treated her. I think I agree with you enough to, I mean, I, I <laughs> to let it go. Yeah. I, I agree with you 98%. Okay. Which okay. is plenty. Yeah. Yeah. Good enough. And as Amarillo says, you know, well, there you go. You went from hurting people deliberately to hurting them accidentally. Next step is not hurting them at all. And then step beyond that is actually helping them. Yeah. 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 And, she, and then he says, I missed your dry wit. Mm-hmm. And then she gives a weak smile and says, I didn't actually go anywhere. No. And I, yeah. Right. That's exactly what my note said. I said that went from a sweet awe to a sad one. Um, then, then again, when I was putting this in the show notes here, like 
she did go somewhere. She she kind of went off the grid, and she apparently has been spending like a year in this time chamber over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, which and nobody so, knew about. But like, she's so. I mean, even if she's only popping off for a quick fifteen minutes, that takes her a month. Like, it's uh, like oh, it's yeah, there's, it's, it's there's it's still an emotional distance. yeah, exactly. There's still like that that psychological distance, and it's like you yes, you are you shared physical proximity with us, Amaryllis, but you've you've been you know quite away from us for a while. Yeah, you. I would. I imagine you would be able to tell that people would just seem more distant if if they've been gone for a month. Uh, when you just saw him 15 minutes ago. Well, the thing is, she just seemed busy. And, you know, it didn't occur to me mm-hmm. that she, you know, hey, why is she being so distant lately? Maybe she's doing the timetable a bunch. Never crossed my mm-hmm. mind. I just, yeah, I took it like, like everyone else probably in the party was thinking like, oh, she's just being Amaryllis and she's got her, you know, nose in her paperwork and she's staying busy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's kind of, kind of worrisome. She might be abusing the time chamber here and hurting her, her own psychological well-being with it. And that, that smile, I didn't actually go anywhere. I mean, if one wants to read into that, she'd be like, I'm right here, June. Yeah. You know, I'm right here whenever whenever you want to talk or something. Mm. Whenever you want to, yeah. Again, Comfort I love Fen. In, in hindsight, I loved Fen a lot. And I, you know, however this shakes out with whatever he does romantically going forward. But I've always liked Amaryllis. So as long as we're like whatever shipping characters. um mm. You hope they end up together? <sighs> I don't know. Now that I, mean, I think we got about 100 it, chapters, there's you could technically still hook up with any one of his companions. Yeah, I, th- I hope they I hope they enjoy each other for a while. Like I honestly hope the book ends with him leaving the planet, so like or something, right? Mm-hmm. I like, I don't I don't want him to retire to a white picket fence with somebody here on Arab or maybe even somebody on Earth. Like I don't I don't know. Stakes are too big. Yeah. You got to zoom out and like just his situation is too weird. You know, yeah. like that, that's why what's her butt couldn't keep a lasting relationship with Dr. Manhattan. Right. Right. Cause he was too, yeah. Detached from everything. Yeah. And like the thing is she like wanted it to work, but like there was no way it ever could. Mm-hmm. And he, he might've wanted it to work. It's hard to say, but it's just like, no, nah, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't relate to you and you know, you can't relate to me. You want to mm-hmm. go to relate to me, but you can't because I'm a God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So he, he, Goes ahead and drops a bomb on Amaryllis here. Yeah, he tells her, uh, I attempted suicide. But he also says, I mean, there are distinctions between suicidal ideation, suicidal gestures, and actual suicide attempts. But, sorry, tangent. And that's because she said suicide attempt, and he later, he corrected her suicide attempts, like plural. And then he talks about this distinction between ideation, gestures, and attempts. And I'm curious as to why he brought up that distinction. It seems like a clue, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts or if that was just me. I think unless we get a description of like what his what those incidences looked like, I think that he's drawing attention to the fact that like these ideation gestures and attempts all indicate towards a similar thing, but yes, they can they they are distinct. Um, mm-hmm. So you know who knows where exactly he was at you know, what his, what his attempt or attempts or gestures looked like. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe he brought it up because it wasn't just like, you know, one night I got, you know, real low and whatever, tried to do something serious to myself. No, he was thinking about it every walk home from school. Like, yeah, the train's coming by. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe part of it is that he's just 
kind of hitting on the point of I was, you know, it was bad for a while. Yeah. Yeah. All right. They talk about Fen dying and why that happened. Uh, and they briefly mentioned maybe it's the Bond girl thing, but up close, it's so monstrous that it's hard to credit. Uh, that's referring back to when they were talking about Uther and he just every adventure, there would be another girl that showed up and then she'd be dead or leave or something at the end. And they called it the Bond girl trope. And like just having having gone through Fen's death and then imagining Uther having something like that happen a dozen times or more to him. Like, I can't even imagine like how long, how many times can you go through that before you just start going numb? It kind of makes you like wonder why you keep falling in love, right? Um, it can be hard to not like, it's not entirely a choice. I don't know. After the, after the dozenth dead girlfriend, like in as many years, I might be like, okay, I'm taking a year off of dating. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't know something. There's some, I get the feeling that narrative was more heavy in Uther's, Uther's time here than it is in June's. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That it was, he was more on rails than June is. Yeah. And he was like, narrative was maybe heavier, not just like with a heavier hand from the DM, but also Uther, like believed that's what he should be doing. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I'd better color inside all the lines. Right. Right. Well, speaking of narrative, uh, Amaryllis is talking regarding Valencia, and uh, this is just one example that I pulled out in this in these series of chapters. Uh, in this example, she says, when we found her, she was sitting in a cage inside a prison, being cared, being cared for by a man whose outlook on life was ethically, morally, and strategically questionable. <laughs> I like that she threw in strategically. And it's I, I, that, I, that jumped out at me, too. I, I like When I was reading it, I went back and read that again. Yeah. And questionable. <laughs> Is, yeah. is is an interesting word for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Strategically quite... All right, yeah. All right, Amaryllis. <laughs> uh, and that's not to mention the fact that she underwent a fairly routine process of being possessed by creatures intent on harming living beings. Uh, I shouldn't have pushed her as hard as I did. And this was part of her saying, like, sure, Val fucked up, but I pushed her into it. It's my fault. And, like, she does this kind of thing quite a few times where she's, like, saying, you know... Yeah, Val fucked up, but it's not it's not just her fault, man. Care some slack. And like I almost thought this chapter could have been called Sympathy for the Devil, because it seems like it's trying to signal that either that Val isn't being set up as a villain and we don't have to worry about that, or else that her fall from grace is gonna be really very thoroughly tragic. That we are going to be one back over and be like, Yeah, Val, that's your okay. Turns out you're wasn't all your fault you're working and then it just goes totally off the rails like uh like um the fucking the bu- should i reference buffy did you watch buffy i watched a couple of episodes of buffy okay so when i say evil willow that won't mean anything to you no but okay. um how fun is that because i do know willow and that's good for somebody don't worry that's good for most okay. people i'm i'm behind okay. all right part of the thing as long as I'm on that tangent is like they released like, and I don't know unless I were to go buy like the VHS tapes or something, how to watch the non remastered versions. Oh God. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about? They stretched them out to fit on, on wide TVs and like, you can see the edge of the set and stuff and like things just don't, it wasn't made to look like that. The remastered version is awful. It's, it's not like merely bad and like that things are squished or something. It's like, no, this, you guys literally fucked it up. And like, did you guys not watch this before you put it out there? This is insanity. 
Yeah, it's like they they made it worse on purpose almost, it feels like. Yeah, this is like the kind of like, you know, stuff you'd put out like on YouTube as like, you know, a behind the scenes, some shit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so, oh, yeah, they're talking about. Um, so so June told us after Grack told him about Grack's plans about what he was going to do, you know. Oh, no, he told him, I guess, did Grack come out and say I plan to go kill myself? No, they're just thinking that he will. He, well, it was very strongly implied. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so June tells us at the time that he had attempted suicide. So this wasn't news to us, but it was news to Amaryllis. And yeah. now they're, he, she tells that, um, or he, he says to Amaryllis, hey, you know, Grack's planning on killing himself, I think. Probably some like ritualistic suicide. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, sounds about right. And I'm just yeah. like, well, damn. A, you've yeah. got a good read on him. And B, like you took, you rolled at that punch. But apparently mm-hmm. she did her homework on all her all, on all of her companions because of course she did and yeah. saw that that whole clan had been wiped out. So um, they're 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 deciding like, hey, I, I want to talk to Grack and try and like get him out of this. I feel like my relating to him about my stuff might help. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're you know, well, he you know, he doesn't like, you know, people colluding and stuff. And uh, you know what? This is actually colluding, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she says we probably shouldn't be even having this conversation, and we certainly shouldn't tell him about it. He'd see it as collusion and meddling, which is debatably true, even if it's just meant to help him. And my comment on that was that, like, dang it, Crack, it's entirely unreasonable for you to get salty about your friends talking about you. They're your friends, they worry, especially if you're suicidal. Like, can't gotta cut him some slack sometimes, man. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that he would be upset about the collusion because he doesn't want to get talked out of it, right? Because oh. getting getting talked out of it would mean that he can forgive himself, which means that, you know, he has to move on with his life after what he did. Yeah. Like, the, that that's that's where he's at. And that, like, that's like where June was at when he was like, all right, let's let's drive my car as fast as I can to rock bottom is like, you know, if I if I admit to myself that I can I can get over this or I can do better, then mm-hmm. I'm going to have to say, well. That means I can move past this, but that feels like I'm, you know, belittling it or something, right? Yeah. Um, there was a great line. This doesn't really relate to Grax thing because he did kind of wipe out his whole clan. That's some serious shit. I'm not saying he should die, but this 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 nice little thing I heard on um, uh, I think it was Econ Talk. Uh, I'll have to find the podcast, but it was a recent appearance with uh Paul Bloom, and he was quoting somebody else. They were talking about grief, and uh, the quote was, "It hurts as much as it mattered." Oh, and I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a succinct way of putting it. Um, so I mean, it so only sort of applies. implies. Oh, well, I it also it implies that the yeah. the more you hurt, the more it mattered. So you have incentive to hurt yourself even more. Well, like so that's not I think where the quote was going. Like with when Paul right. Blue mentioned it, it was just kind of like a nice way to think about it or to frame grief. But I think since people maybe somewhat, somewhat intuitively get that, like if June were to back on earth when he was depressed, be like, okay, well, I'm going to move past this. Then he's like, wait a minute. Am I like saying it didn't matter? Like remember when yeah. Hermione dies and Quirrell says, because then Harry tells Quirrell, I plan to, you know, break the universe in half until I can bring her back to life. Mm-hmm. And Quirrell says, you know, do you not realize that like none of them would do that for you? And that maybe the only the idea is occurring to you because like, you are the only person who will see that that's like a, a signal that one should try to send. Yeah. 
and uh, that that gives Harry pause, right? Well, he says that it's not their fault that they haven't thought of that. No, it's true. But I think the next line was that did give Harry some pause. Um, okay, yeah. If memory serves, but yeah, he he then comes back. He's like, "Look, it's not my problem that they're not they're not where I am yet, right?" Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But there's something about like if if Grax says, "Okay, I can move past this," then he has to like, I guess, admit that I I don't know. It's it's going to be tough. I'm looking forward to the conversation. He's going to put it better than I am. I'm I'm running out of uh, articulate juice. That's cool. It's yeah. It's getting late. Um, but yeah, conspiring to help friends is tight, especially when it's done in the best of intentions like this. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's so there was a lot of moments like this uh, where there's just quite quick recollections of Fen of like, oh, she would have had this thing now. And uh, there was a time they're watching a movie and he starts crying because it's something that Fen would have enjoyed. And he knows that they never get a chance to watch it together. And they were just a lot of those good little beats of going through recent grief and uh and they're really good I yeah just had to say that no i agree i mean it he hits the nail on the head and uh it's a bummer again i'm gonna always run back to you know alexander wales if he told me he was a woman working for a newspaper in the 1920s i'd have believed him um because he's that good at imagining stuff mm-hmm. so i really hope that this is just coming from you know research and a good imagination but it Definitely sounds like firsthand experience. Yeah. Uh, but that's what, that's what all good, you know, imaginings look like. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I hope, I hope he hasn't suffered any losses, but God, that's a bummer. Yeah, um, okay. Okay. So, uh, they, they're talking about Arthur and Uther and, um, June, when t- talking about, you know, bringing Uther back to talk with Bethel, he says, I do think that what Uther did was shitty. And I think he should have to face something in the way of consequences. And Amarilla says, not if Uther is the key to saving the world. Aren't you a self-described utilitarian? <laughs> and <laughs> I think I, I think that I'm about to make some excuses right here. Because, like, this shit is, it's hard and I kind of hate it. And, like, if you put it in those terms, a utilitarian would say that anyone who's done sufficient good should get murder offsets, you know? Or rape offsets or whatever. And, like, there's a scene in the... um uh the death of stalin great dark comedy uh with stalin dying where one of the uh head uh soviet people um leaders just picks girls off the street to fuck and then afterwards like sets them up with you know a lot of money and they're taken care of and whatever but you know they didn't have a choice in the matter they didn't get to consent and in his mind like it's okay i have to take some pleasures where i can because i am doing so much to save all of russia uh and and like the net good outweighs it so much that the occasional rape or murder doesn't matter. And like again, this is the Nazi scientist thing again, right? The the we brought them over because we needed to win World War II so much, and it really grates on me. And I think what I have decided the hill I'm going to die on is that the rule of law is far more important to uphold than any one person. That um all men are going to die at some point and there's only so much they can contribute and keeping like the social respect and a trust in the rule of law that can last for centuries possibly and affects everyone in the society and is just far more important and it should be preserved. And so if someone is saving the world and yet they do something awful, they should still be punished because like in the words of Rorschach from, 
from Watchmen is that no, not even in the face of Armageddon, never compromise. And I think that's why even though Rorschach was this horrible person who literally would have sacrificed the world for his principles, that is a thing I really admired about him and why I'm so torn about how that book ended and why I think it's such a good book. Um, that that sometimes it feels like there are principles that you should give up even things like um, Dr. Manhattan saving the world for or or fight saving the world for. Yeah, it made it was a really cool moment with him. And I mean, I see what you're saying. It's, you know, like, I think it's possible to, you know, still hate our evil savior, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we just don't kill them until they solve the problem that only they can solve. Like, if Superman actually was a world-ending threat and only Lex could kill him by, again, like, he did some torturous shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, he he orchestrated it, right? His hands are perfectly mm-hmm. clean, but whatever. Like, yeah. all right, once we've solved the Superman problem, then we throw Lex in prison, right? Okay, yeah. We don't say, hey, look at you're a hero, even though you, you know, did, did these terrible things. Um, we say, thank you very much. You can enjoy the rest of your life in this cell, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems fair. The, the cool thing with Dr. Manhattan and Rorschach though, is that like, you can't put Manhattan in a prison cell. That's the, the idea right. is laughable. And so yeah. he's just like, nope, I'm going to tell fucking kill me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, that's just, you know, part of the weird thing of trying to orient yourself in a position to a God like Dr. Manhattan. Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, you already know you're going to kill me. Like, right. just do it. I do think, yeah, uh, that's it's slightly different in fantasy magic worlds, I guess, where Uther might actually be needed to save the whole world. It just, yeah, yeah, lag. I say, no, I, I feel you. I mean, you know, so what would be nice is, you know, assuming that he did anything wrong, which right. we, you know, I'm he probably wasn't a perfect saint all the time. Um, well, then, it's not Dr. Manhattan so much as it is Adrian Veidt, who killed everybody in Manhattan, or in New York City. Yeah. So I guess, like, if Uther is Adrian, I, I don't know, uh, the, the analogy is escaping me because my brain's getting slippery. I think, yeah. um, you know, how do you how do you give Arthur his comeuppance once, you know, because somehow the game's got to end and that might involve Arthur just leaving. Like, do you, mm-hmm. does just does June resign to leave him here to be tortured forever by Bethel? That's it. Hardly seems fair. Yeah. Um, that's also not commensurate with his crimes. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. he, he tortured one sentient being that was maybe sort of sentient. And he was like, uh, and now I believe he is sentient enough to be concerning, concerned about doing stuff too. But at the time there's reasonable doubt. And I don't think he believed anybody was sentient at that time. You know, at that right. time he was yelling at a talking house, yeah. like you know. So he he was just like you know. I, I think that a lot of his stuff is kind of like from misunderstanding. I'm not saying mm-hmm. like you can just forgive a misunderstanding, but it's magic and you know video game stuff. It's a very mm-hmm. very big misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's 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 keep chugging because I'm running out of steam too. But we got a last few things that I really wanted to touch on. Um, Amaryllis talks about how she how she was raised in House Slytherin, and she knows that promises are only kept for as long as it is feasible to keep them. And she says that it makes other people cold to her. It always makes people think less of you because they know your love isn't eternal and your promises are breakable if circumstances mean you're willing to eat the cost to reputation. And like, I'm with Amaryllis because I always assumed this was everyone. And, and that's because I try to be realistic and to deny that is unrealistic um 
but I also think it's probably been net negative for my mental or emotional well-being. And I don't know. Like, what do you think about this thing that is it should one just deny this whole that love isn't eternal and that promises are breakable thing and pretend like love is eternal and promises some promises are unbreakable? I feel like I've been at my desk too long to engage this with the gravity that it deserves, but okay. my, and I'm not trying to like, you know, like, I don't know this. I, I'm tired of this episode. It's more than usual yeah. with it, but it yeah. uh, started off strong. Um, we got, we got really ca- caught up in the the thing that we got caught up in for more than we needed to, I guess. No, you're good. Um, but like in general, I think that, uh, you know, I don't know what eternal means in this context. If they mean literally till the heat death of the universe, then come on, be realistic. Right. I think that, you know, it's like a parent's unconditional love for their child. And it's like, yes, it's unconditional. Conditional on the fact that you don't, like, torture us all to death, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's it's within what we all understand is to be reasonable bounds. Um, so, I but mean... But there's some people that don't... They will, they will deny that there's reasonable bounds. I mean... I'm not a parent. Maybe a parent would still love their kid as they watch them immiserate their spouse and, you know, spend two hours doing it agonizingly, you know, like some horror movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, God, I sure love my son, but I wish he'd stopped doing that. Like I, maybe that's how parenting works. I have no idea. Um, It's like, I, so, but if that's where they're gonna draw the line, then I just like, I'm not having the conversation with them. I'm I'm having it with everybody else. Like, you know, (laughs) let's, let's keep our lines reasonable. And then we don't have to worry about like, you know, putting ourselves in these confusing boxes. Like Amaryllis is in this spot because everything to her, her whole life has been transactional. Right. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. it's, again, it's been Slytherin. And so that, that is not like the recipe for like well being, And that's why like Slytherin produced more dark wizards than average. Um, because yeah. people there were bummed and like they, they weren't happy people. So that, that's kind of, I guess where I'm at with that. Um, the, yeah, she's got, she's got baggage to overcome. Mm. Okay. Um, I think I have nothing else that I am willing to spend even more time on, even though there are a few more notes here. Is there anything you wanted to pull out? I appreciate us sticking it out this long. I think that it just, as soon as like nine o'clock passed, I got tired. And now we're pushing nine thirty. So um, I will hit the real quick. Um, you know, Amaryllis expresses some frustration that she wants to scream in their faces about like, you guys have your, your little problems and mm. I'm trying to save the planet. And mm-hmm. June is like, it's you're calling them little problems. I'm trying to save Fen. And yeah. she just closes her eyes and takes a breath. And it's like, <laughs> yes, like that, like that exactly. little problem, you little bitch. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. And so <laughs> I felt her frustration there. Me too. And yeah. the thing is, they're both right. You know, yeah. this, this is huge to June. And, and he does say this, I think with Arthur and with, uh, Fen that look, if it comes between Arab and getting Fen back or Arab and, uh, Arthur getting his comeuppance, I will pick Arab. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. And she says, that's all I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like Amaryllis has, oh my God, how did this not occur to me before? Uh, hmm. she is burdened with glorious purpose. <laughs> nice. Right? Yeah. Her her whole life, she's got her eye on the ball, and the ball is the fate of the planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so she doesn't get to, you know, de- when, when her close friends die, she doesn't get to throw everything else away to save them or to seek vengeance, right? Yeah. She's like, okay, well, that fucking sucks. I'm going to 
deal with that and I'm going to keep saving the world, right? Yeah. Uh, that's hard. God, Amaryllis is so fucking baller. I know. And how does June earn that level up with her? Oh, when he says that, uh, I'll pick, I'll pick, um, I'll choose Arab, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so then she gets a loyalty increase and he asks what it feels like internally. Yeah. And I liked this. This is a fun kind of note to end on here or to near the end. I'll, I've got the last note, but, mm-hmm. um, she's like, oh, it feels like I learned something about you. You know, that makes me like you more, which is like what loyalty feels like in real life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes it's a reminder of the sort of person you are. And he says, in a good way, though. And she says, yes, in a good way, with a smile. Yeah. 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 It was really cool that that was, we finally got an explanation of what a loyalty up represents. It represents, so I think, remind- exactly what we articulated, like my guess was, which is like, just like how it works in real life, right? Yeah. Like if, if you're, it doesn't usually happen with a numerical increase that you can, ca- you know, calculate, but you might notice during a conversation, be like, oh, I like this person more. Right? I think it also... It, it, I think it also explains why loyalty, um, the number doesn't go down because if it's earned by someone being reminded of or realizing something about the kind of person you are and that they like the kind of person you are, then they won't forget that later, right? It's still there. It just, now it might become outweighed by other things, but they still know that thing about you and they still like that thing about you. So. So it wouldn't go down. They wouldn't forget it. What's fun about it being a game mechanic and not like real life is that in real life, someone could fake being the kind of person I admire and have loyalty to, right? Mm-hmm. In a game, it seems like that wouldn't work. Right. They only get the loyalty up when it's a real thing, not which is one why, like, faking. Yeah, which is why like trying with Grack, it doesn't help. Yeah. And because like, I'm thinking like, all right, if June then goes full uther and starts you know yelling at people and killing his wise old wizard and stuff is her is her loyalty going to stay the same no he's changed who he is right Mm -hmm. she was loyal to june the june who wasn't like that yeah 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 Yeah, that's interesting um anyway june has a possibly prophetic dream do you think that there's any prophecy in his dream um when i read this i just took it as a dream because he'd been having the dream affliction so i don't know it's a fantasy book, so every single dream could be prophetic. But <laughs> on the other a hand, clue. right? But on the other hand, I also don't like um, reading too many prophecies into stuff. So I just took it as a dream. What's annoying is that he doesn't tell us if he still has the affliction. Uh, mm-hmm. But although apparently Amaryllis still has her uh, rage aggression after like eight months in the time chamber. No, she's only been in there with the period with Ben or with Val, and then this one, right? Well, apparently she's had eight extra months in there while she worked on the TV stuff, right? Yeah, but that could have been before the last day. Oh, yeah. And it probably was before the last day. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep, yep. You're right. Yeah, that would have been wild if this thing lasts just like forever. June has bad dreams forever. That would be one fucking curse. Yeah. Like what? I get I get barely healed from poison once and I never get a good night's sleep again? Fuck you. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But the, the it's it's a play and it's a play about everything that they did and will do on air, but it doesn't remember anything that they will do. Mm-hmm. But the part I wanted to pull out was that, uh, well, Fen has a very dramatic death, kind of like Loki in Ragnarok. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just the kind of thing that she would have liked. And then uh, she bows out and goes left, you know, exits off stage. And then she's sitting on the wings where I don't know, she's next to the DM. Um, but it was like what she asked for in her letter that she gets to watch mm-hmm. from the sidelines. Right. Mm-hmm. And 
And again, she blows him a kiss. Yeah, she blows him a kiss, and it's nice. But what's fun is that, like, again, because the DM is in his dream, and the DM can has full access to his mind everywhere, I'm like, every time I see him, I think it's actually him. Okay. Like, why wouldn't it be, right? I... I mean, it could just be a dream because it's a dream. It 100% could and be. Dream- <laughs> and he's dreaming about the DM because one of the most powerful people in the world sometimes might get in your dreams. Yeah. No, you met God. You're going to, you're going to, you know, think about it when you're asleep once in a while. But yeah. he might actually be there. Who knows? Right. And yeah. so the reason I like this, and I'm going to just keep this, you know, as, as a back burner thought, maybe this was hand delivered by the DM to say, and like to, 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 Communicate to June with plausible deniability. I did pull Finn off the sideline. She's okay. Okay. Yeah. And like so it, if, if we get to a point ever in the story where we get a resolution with the DM and Finn and all that stuff, if she was sidelined, then I get a cookie for calling this out that this was the DM telling him that. Absolutely. And as a point in your favor, uh, I didn't know this at the time because the book was still being written and we didn't know how long it was but it says in the text here that they're like about halfway through the play when she died and we are halfway through in at least in terms of chapter numbers uh and finn has died so at least in that case it kind of lines up but again you know halfway point is sort of also a generic term might be a clue might might not no that's a great pull out i'm glad you noticed that because i didn't and uh 100 a clue I think that, you know, I don't I don't think that Wales knew that, like, how many chapters he had left. Maybe he had drafted them all, but I don't think that's how writing works. Um, no. But maybe and he's like... always change in the process. Yeah, but he's probably like, I feel like I've said about half, like, I've hit half the stuff I want to hit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how fun is that? That's, that's pretty cool. All right. Well, speaking of having tons of fun, I got to clarify something, and then we got to call it a night. Okay. We had a, like, more heated than average disagreement this evening. And I hope that there's no ill will or anything. I, I think my, my patience o meter, like just in general, has not been what it usually is for the last few couple of weeks. And uh, that like, is on, on, on my end, there's absolutely no ill will. Like okay. I, 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 I know you, I know we're still good unless, I mean, unless I'm misreading things and then you can tell me privately otherwise, like, I'm dude, assur- that's I'm shit assur- you said. I'm assuring you publicly that we are still good. Okay. Uh, yeah. That, that is the impression I got. And, better than ever. Yeah. Even. Right, even though exactly. that sounded sarcastic, it, because no, it, it did not. All right, I, see, I knew it wasn't. So. All right, see, see, true homies. All right, everyone knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, speaking of having fun with our true homies, I hope the next chapters are fun. What, what do I got to brace, <laughs> brace myself for next, Inyash? Next, again, four chapters, uh, numbers one hundred twenty-five through one hundred twenty-eight, and those chapters are one hundred twenty-five: the remnants of the past, one hundred twenty-six: ever onward. 127 full house and 128 an open book well full house is gonna be bethel bullshit open book sounds mm-hmm. like they're going to the library that's fun mm-hmm. and uh run into the past maybe more maybe raven maddie stuff but there's only one way to find out people read these chapters that- join us back here same time same place next week hell to the yes uh we'll we'll see you all uh next week we got links up uh to the things we discussed today uh do patreon do link rates reviews we're going to bed yeah and we always have time and energy to thank you alexander and even though it does get tiring we like your story so much we stay up way too late and miss dinner to talk about it once a week because we're having a great time so thanks for writing this book and making this game so we can play it hell yeah thanks
and a Mustang pulled up next to me with two really young, good-looking men in it. And they gesture over at me to roll my window down. And I was like, okay. And this really cute guy sticks his head out the window and he goes, your muffler's dangling. (laughs) I was absolutely not ready to give up on the fantasy I had created. And I just, without thinking, look at him and go, your muffler's dangling. (laughs) He's like, no, seriously, it's dangerous. Sparks are flying. I'm like, I feel that too. (laughs) Anyways, now my car is in the shop. And I'm pretty sure he was 16, and I might have used to babysit for him. 